One, and we're live. You are tuning into Cosmic Children. I'm your host Kevin, and today I have Chris with me. So Chris, I got to know Chris from a friend, from another friend, and apparently, from what I know about you, you run a secret society. You run <laughs> a secret society of individuals that meet on a semi-regular basis. So could you please tell the audience who and what is this group of people that you meet? All right. Well, it comes from a, um, well, it first started more than 2,200 years ago. Okay. So, you know, we've, we've got some history behind us, but mm. we run uh, the Stoic Singapore meetup group. Mm. So, we're a, um, a small group of uh, practicing Stoics. And, um, and that's really important because I want to uh, focus in on that word practicing because in the world of Stoicism, there's two main sort of groups of people you've got your well maybe actually three actually right so the first is your academics and these are the ones that pour over ancient greek texts Mm. and you know debate about the translation of a particular word right the second group is what i call silicon valley stoics silicon valley stoics all right So these are you know because stoicism's really come up with a bit of a resurgence over the last Five to ten years, maybe a little oh, bit longer. The last right? decade, okay. Yeah, and um, you know, one group of people that have really embraced some of the tenets about stoicism mm. are tech entrepreneurs. Mm. So you know, you may have heard of people like Tim Ferriss or um, uh, Jack Dorsey is mm. another one. Um, you know, and these are people that have picked up a few of the, the pieces of it and, you know, have done a great job of popularizing yep. stoicism. Right? Um, and then you've got the third group, which we try to represent, which mm. are people that try to integrate the the practices of stoicism in on our daily basis. Okay. So, this is how we try to live our lives. Um and uh, yeah, so this is so we run a small group and we mm. do some orientation work like Stoicism 101 for beginners <laughs> if you've never heard of it yeah. before. Yeah. But our our real work that we've done is we, we have practice groups yeah. where we focus in on on one or more of the you know the central themes yep. of Stoicism and really try to apply that and how that looks and how we can integrate some of those yep. practices in our daily okay. life. Yeah. Wonderful. So. What I want to know is what is Stoicism for someone who has never heard of it before. Cool, right? Well, because it really does sound like a like a good group. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, it's actually much more practical than that. So okay. it's much more practical than a secret group. It's much more practical. Than, well, yeah. I don't know. Just maybe <laughs> maybe all your listeners in secret groups can reach out to us and say, "Oh no, no, no our secret group is much more practical than that." Um, so Stoicism is. It's it's a worldview, okay. So it's a um, it, and it really comes down to a few central themes. Yes. So the first one is that we live our lives normally, and we're under this illusion that 
our reactions to our thing. There, there are reactions to things in our lives. Yes. And those things in our lives are good or bad. Yes. All right. Stoicism would turn that idea on the head mm-hmm. and say that there actually are no good things or bad things in the world or external things yep. anyway. It's only the way that we think about them. So that's that first one is around perception. And then the second part of that is attachment to externals. Attachment to external. Okay. Right. Okay. And this is something that is not revolutionary, right? I mean, pretty much all of the ancient traditions and religions end up at the same thing, which is the idea that are being attached to things like wealth mm. and fame like and materialism. success yep. and materialism mm. ends up being a bad thing. Yep. Right. So, stoicism, absolutely similar sort of vein, similar sort of bucket. So, and they really take a look at some of those externals in a lot of detail, like death as an example, like wealth, yep. like pleasure and desire. Yep. Um, and then what we also do is we, we, we try to live our lives with an idea that we can change the way that we think about things. It's about living with that idea that we can change the way we feel about things. Absolutely. Okay. Right. So with training, we can, um, you know, change the way, change some of our automatic perceptions mm. and see them as what they are. Yep. And our reactions, not to necessarily to the things, yep. but more to the way that we think about them and our opinions. Yep. So that's one side, which is this whole idea of. Self-mastery. Self-mastery. And, and, okay. and not being a slave, mm. right? So, you know, talk, people talk about, you know, that we're, we're a slave to things mm. and, and events and other people, but the biggest slave master is always ourselves. What do you mean by that? Well, there's a common theme where people talk to themselves in a way that they would never talk to any other human being. Yes. And I don't know if that, you know, strikes any chords with you, but, mm. you know, when I think back at some of my negative self-talk over the years, I'm like, oh, I would never speak to anyone like that. That mm. is a horrible way to speak to any human being. And we're actually doing that to ourselves. Mm. So that's what I mean about being a slave to our opinions. You know, and going through a life thinking that, you know, well, I'm just an angry guy Mm. and that's just the way that I am and I'm totally powerless to that. Stoicism would say you might have natural inclinations, Mm. you know, you might have a temperament that says that, but you're always in control and with training, you can change that viewpoint. And this is something that really has to be trained. Is this something that um, you would have to, I guess the word is deprogram because the word slave is a particularly polarizing word because if you tell someone that, hey, you are a slave to yourself, they might not actually really get it. Yeah, because they would say almost defensively that, hey, I have control of my actions. I am in control of my destiny. And it gets a little bit murky if you are talking to people of uh, perhaps in power perhaps mm-hmm. in, in, in a more privileged position with wealth, with all these, uh, I guess, materialistic service level things in their life. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't think that it's even 
limited to people with power or materialism mm. or anything else. I mean, you know, most of us and, you know, every day I struggle and rail against this idea that, mm. you know, I'm just this piece of, you know, piece of flotsam just like floating in this tide Scooby. of life, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Just a ton of Scoby just, yeah, just being washed Scooby. around, right? Um, and, you know, what Stoicism helps us do is is practice that finding se- the center, right? So, you know, you talk about deprogramming and that's, that's really interesting that you say that because um, – in psychotherapy, there's one of the major disciplines is something called CBT, which what you may CBT? have. It's a cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. And that school of um that that's that, that school of analysis actually has its roots in stoicism. Oh. So um yeah, uh, emotional behavioral therapy, I think. Someone will get someone will get me wrong on that. Um, which was the you know the the father of CBT mm. was really heavily influenced by Stoicism. Yep. So that idea that we you that we can use practical tools to give ourselves distance from our problems is you know a, a core part of Stoicism, but also something that is practiced in therapists. Clinics right, yeah. all over the world yep. today. Yep. You, know? you you mentioned in the very beginning about frames, frames of thought. Mm-hmm. I think that is a particularly interesting way of, I guess, looking at the world because a frame is a rectangle and you peer into it, you look at something. Mm. How did you arrive at that particular idea or even that thought? Because it is so... um strange to the way we conventionally think about what thoughts are thinking and instead of because if, it, if it's a frame if you think about it you can step aside you can look at what's behind without uh, perhaps a, a colored lens over the frame or something like that mm. um it's an interesting question i mean obviously that's not something that's right in the you know that that's Stoicism doesn't have the the, the trademark on, on, <laughs> on you know um, looking through problems through frames, yeah. right? But there's um, one. So as an example, one of the practices that they'll talk about in Stoicism is this idea of taking a view from above. Mm. So this is all about scale and perspective, and. Scale, which I'll come back to in a moment, but scale and perspective works in two ways. Mm-hmm. We can have spatial perspective. Spatial. Right? Which would be, so you and me, yep. right? We're sharing this room. We're having a conversation, talking talking next to us. Now, we we share a space, but we're also sitting here in the Cato factory as well. Yep. So we share a space with our neighbors. Yep. And then we can take that. One step further, and we can have, you know, we can look at, um, you know, the suburb that we are in mm. Singapore, and then Singapore, yep. and then the world, yep. and then the solar system, then the <laughs> right, and we can get bigger and bigger, right? Yep. Yep. Now, that might seem like a kind of an interesting little quirk that we might go, oh, yeah, yep. that's right. It's you know, not experiment, right? yeah. Thought experiment. Yep. But then overlay the argument that we have in this room. So let's say mm. that. You and I just start having a big, 
you know, Barney, and to, between the two of us, that seems like something really serious. You know, in fact, this is the most serious conversation mm-hmm. that, you know, I can remember having. And we're getting really heated. Yep. And that's having a physical experience on mm. um, on our internal selves, but yep. even the room, right? We start throwing things yep. around and yep. everything else, right? Now, let's take it one step over. And our neighbours, They right? start feeling it too. They start feeling it too. So, they hear it through the walls, but it's muffled, right? So, they might think of that in terms of annoyance. So, where we are thinking anger, fury, rage, wrath, right? They're thinking, God, when are they going to, you know, mm. settle down there? Take it one step further, totally irrelevant. Like right? in the suburb where we in are. In the right? suburb where yeah. we are, right? This is not an actual problem, mm. right? And then, of course, you know, we go bigger and bigger and the bigger. The entirety and of Singapore, nobody cares. Yeah. Exactly right, right? So, that's spatial perspective. Yep. And then we've also got that other axis of time as mm. on there as well, right? Where we are super angry about the fight that we're having at the moment. Yep. Tomorrow, that fades yeah. a little bit. Next week, that fades more. In a month's time, it's an amusing anecdote that yep. we tell our friends. Yep. And in a year, we never thought about that. Yep. But in 80 years, you and I are both dead, my friend. Yep. You know, and then in- hundred years after that, no one even remembers our names. Mm. So, the Stoics would would use tools like that to put in context the problems that we face on day-to-day life. Mm. So, again, it's just perspective and layering, and then we can think about that in terms of, you know, the world that we occupy, the space that we occupy, but then, of course, there's also the time and mm. the realisation that we are just this merest ember that yep. has- Come into existence yep. and floated away, yep. just uh, you know, in the sea and of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Scobies, uh, <laughs> the sea of scobies, right? Flotsam in the sea of scobies, right? Infinity, that's the word I was looking for, right? I found my words. Oh, I lost my train of thought because we're talking about scobies. Um, fuck, I really lost my train of thought. <laughs> That's right. I'll riff while you while you keep on thinking about that. So, you know, that, that's one of the things that, um, you know, when we when when how the Stoics think about this, is yep. it's not just cold hard analysis, right? Oh. And we'll we'll end up. I'm sure we'll end up talking about the popular conception of the word Stoic, mm. the stiff upper lip, right? So we'll come back to that later on because that's yep. a big thing that I'd love to talk to you yep. about. Um, but it's not just cold heart analysis. It's also a um, so what the what the Stoics would use is this beautiful phrase of living in accordance with nature. Living in accordance with nature, right? What do you mean by that? Well, <laughs> good question, right? Yeah. So it, it means a few different things, but the two main things is living in accord- living in accordance with our nature. Mm-hmm. And our nature is to grow and live up to our potential. I wouldn't agree with that. You wouldn't? I wouldn't. I don't think... I think that is what we hope to achieve. But I think human nature has uh, dark parts of it built into the system that is always uh, vying for attention. Oh, yeah. absolutely. And yeah. it's not saying that this is easy, 
again, right? This is not a, oh, it's a new paradigm shift. I get it now, oh. right? How could I be living like this, right? Mm -hmm. But to think that there's something to, to strive for and that actually our true selves um, are not there to sit on the couch and watch Netflix mm. and everything else, right, and just yep. kind of while away our lives, yep. right? Our true selves um, yearn to not only make ourselves better and reach for greatness, but also help our communities grow mm. and contribute to the, you know, to the human cause, you know? Yep. So that'd be one part, but then there's also that part of living as part of the universe or the whole, right? Which were they, you know, capital W whole <laughs> sort of thing, right? Um, and that kind of comes to that idea of, you know, what's an example? Comes out a lot in death and the discussion about death that the Stoics have, yep. where when you die, you return to the same thing that gave birth to you. But they also do it in this way that is um, atheistic, right? So, mm. you know, you remember as well, let's just get some context here, yep. right? So, this is like 200 BC, right? So, it's not just religious. It's like super religious, right? It's like there are gods on gods on gods. Yep. And it's not saying that, but the Stoics treated that as, as a separate conversation, so one of the beautiful things about Stoicism is it's not a dogma. Mm -hmm. It's not related to a god or a religion mm. or a fixed way of going or a doctrine. Mm. You know, there is no Stoic Bible. All there are is writings and reflections of Stoic teachers. Stoic teachers. Yeah. I think teacher is a very interesting word in that regard because I guess in religion you have certain hierarchies you have people you need to listen to because they are a divine medium or something mm. but you mentioned teacher i think teacher everyone knows a teacher everyone has been taught by a teacher everyone has different perspectives of what a teacher is a good teacher and a bad teacher so i think it's a very to me it feels like a very grounded uh would you say it's a philosophy stoicism philosophy. stoicism is absolutely a philosophy mm. right so huh. Like I said, right, I am not a Stoic academic mm. <laughs> nor historian, right? Yep. But I think it's important to talk a little bit about the history mm -hmm. and also who some of these teachers are because they are fascinating, right? So, <clears throat> the word Stoicism comes from the Greek word stoa. Stoa. Stoa, S-T-O-A. Okay. And it's a porch, right, or a veranda. That's what a stoa is. Okay. And what that is, is that that's a reflection of the teaching environment. So, what you would have is a group of students sitting around a stoa, mm -hmm. and then you would have um, a series of, I guess, lectures or, or, or discussions, yep. you know, um, very much in the same school and tradition of Socrates. Who is Socrates? All right. Well, Socrates is the sort of the original, um, the original sage. Right. So, <laughs> you know, he's often, he's kind of put on a same sort of, the same sort of pedestal as mm -hmm. Jesus of Nazareth. Okay. Right. It's like, it's the perfect, you know, he's often held up as the perfect um, picture, the paragon of wisdom. Is that something very blasphemous to say? 
Well, I don't know. I'm a, you know, I'm a sort of a diet in the wool atheist, right? <laughs> so um, I'm pretty, um, I, you know, like I'm pretty loose and ready, right? But, you know, I, th- I think it is, I don't think it's a misrepresentation to say that Jesus is put up on, on a pedestal mm. as the perfect, you know, like as um, the, perfect the, per- being. the perfect being, yep. right? I'm not saying that they're kind of, you know, wrestling at the top for, you know, who gets to stand on the top. But I think that there's, you know, there's a series of platforms mm. um, and very and a few people um, have m- found their way as part of that, like, image of perfection. Interesting. Jesus would be one, you know, Muhammad would be another one, Buddha would be another one. I think Socrates probably wow. as a good, you know, he, he's got a good case to be, mm. to share that platform. Why do you think that is? Um, well, I think what it is, is Socrates was really the, the founding father of these main Hellenistic philosophies. What is Hellenistic? Hellenistic is, um, uh, like ancient Greece, right? So there was a number of different philosophies around that time. Mm -hmm. So- you know, the ones that we may have heard about would be Stoicism, Cynicism, right, and Epicureanism. That sounds like a food thing. It is. It, it is, is a food, a food thing, thing, right? Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what it's become now, right? Okay. But these were kind of like the um, – uh, th- these were like the big hitters, right? So, these were the three main philosophies that were sort of vying for who's going to be the best philosophy. Okay. Right? But they all looked at Socrates as, you know, their their image of, you know, what a sage is mm. because he exemplifies wisdom. And, you know, there's what, Sto- uh, what uh, Socrates would say was like, know thyself, right? That's his big epithet, right? And that idea of knowing yourself looking self and you know looking into yourself understanding your perceptions understanding your opinions and how they shape your world becomes that cornerstone of virtue Mm. right so this is where and we're kind of like i hope you don't mind like dance with me here right because we're walking all over the shop right but you know earlier we were talking about you know this idea of self-mastery yep and the way that we can control our internal world. Yep. But then on the other side of it, and this is what we were talking about, we're living up to, you know, human potential, is how we live a good life. Mm. And what the Stoics would say, and it's not just the Stoics, but what they would say is that the only good life is a life lived of virtue. Mm. Right? And wisdom is the the cornerstone of virtue. And these are also known as the cardinal virtues as well. Cardinal virtues, okay. Right. right? Um, and they've been used throughout antiquity, right? So, you know, Christianity, Thomas Aquinas appropriated these cardinal virtues yeah. of wisdom, temperance or self-mastery, mm-hmm. courage and justice. Mm. And all other virtues um, uh, um, 
feed into these yep. four virtues. Yep. And, they're, and they're called cardinal virtues because kardos in Greek means hinge. So okay. all other virtues hinge off these four main virtues. So they're like the pillars. They are the pillars. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Right? And, you know, so if you would look at something like, like kindness or love, yep. those virtues would feed into the cardinal virtues of justice, mm. which has a different connotation that, like when we think about justice we think bom bom you know <laughs> the man and woman of right, right. Uh, something like that something yeah. like that right like criminal justice yes, yes. but what 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 the ancients meant is it's more morality like okay. how we interact with the people in the world around us yep. and critically how we act in a way that's wise to the world around us mm. right so all of those, you know, like all of that good stuff, like love and kindness and fairness yep. and fair dealing in business all come into this hinge of justice. Yep. Right. Um, and then, you know, the other, yeah, the other cardinal virtues also all have their subjugation. So in the stoic mind, the only good thing is a decision made in the pursuit of virtue. Which is these four pillars. Which are these four pillars. Could you repeat them again? All right. Uh, so you have wisdom, temperance, mm. courage, mm. and justice. So b building off what you say about these four things, um, how does one begin to define these four things? Because as you just said, when you said justice, I believe we both have different images in mind. And these images are colored by how one sees the world by one's upbringing mm -hmm. these days, even by social media. Mm -hmm. So how does one begin to even conceive the thought of defining what is some, something as, as, as uh, vague as courage? How does one define courage in these modern days? Because God knows when you talk about courage with someone, they might think of warriors, they might think of like, action heroes, action films or something, because mm -hmm. that is what is uh, portrayed as courageous in, in I guess, media. Mm. Yeah. How does one begin to define these things? Okay. Well, the first thing I would say is that you've got to do the work, right? So there isn't a, there's, not a, hand, there's not a handbook of, <laughs> no you handbook. know, like, <laughs> this is how you be courageous, right? Yeah. So you're right. These things are personal. When we talk about our shape of, you know, the, or the way that our perceptions are shaped and culture and social media and everything else, the first thing we would come back to and ask is, is this true? Okay. Right. So is this perception like, is this is this right? Like, is this actually a thing, mm. or is this just an opinion or a judgment on something? Right? Do you have an example of something like this? Sure. Um, so let's say, okay, let's have this as an example. So you're scrolling your, you're on your Insta, all right? You're scrolling your feed, and you come across influencer after influencer after influencer 
living their perfect life, yep. right? Now, that might be, let's say, digital nomad, right? So, you know, there's someone that lives in Bali or Hawaii oh. <laughs> or something, <laughs> right? You know, like- specific picture. <laughs> yeah, right, or whatever, right? Yep. And, of course, there's, you know, like, pick your poison, yep. right? But let's just say that, you know, these people just posting up their, you know, their daily- you know, their daily pina colada yep. as they send emails yep. and they're working four hours and da 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 right, right? So, we go, well, that looks like a really, you know, like that's, you know, that's that's the goal yep. here. That's what I should be aiming for. So, I'm going to exhibit courage and I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to sell all my shit and I'm going to buy a one-way ticket to Bali and I'm going to sit on a beach and do this digital nomad thing mm. and, you know, become an influencer and blah, 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 right? Yep. Um, I just realized how old I sound <laughs> when I'm talking about social media. I don't, I don't really do social media at all. So, I'm like, the Instas? Uh, yeah, right. Um, nobody's yeah. on TikTok right now. Having their snappy chats? Uh, yeah, right. Um, MySpace? No. <laughs> See, I did have a MySpace account. No, you're showing me. You're showing my age, right? Thanks, mate. Um, right. Now. Let's go back to our little scenario, right? Now, what just happened was not courage. Why not? Because our idea of thinking that our happiness can be found in something external. Our happiness can be found going to a beach in Bali and selling all that stuff so I can be an influencer is not a wise thing. Objectively right? wise or it's just not a wise thing in general? So... Okay. Um, another way of thinking about it, right, is as a gambler. The Stoics are amazing gamblers. That is interesting. All right. Because they assume a zero risk. They always win because okay. they never have anything outside of their internal control define their happiness. They never have anything outside of their internal control to define their own happiness. That's correct. So nothing external can nothing affect the happiness. Absolutely. Okay. Right. So, you know, and I mean, you, you only just need to look at the time that we're in at the moment, mm. right? So, I mean, in Bali, mm. I mean, what does that look like at the moment? I mean, that's an economic train wreck over mm. there, you know? So even having that one in a whatever the odds are of having a global pandemic, yep. right? Even a one in a billion chance that, you know, something like that could happen, the Stoics would say, I'm not taking those odds. Interesting. Right. Now, there's a wrinkle to that, right? So, mm -hmm. this isn't asceticism. This isn't saying, no, I'm going to shun my back on wealth and, you know, I'm never going to touch money or anything mm, else ever again. Because it can right? be perceived as that, yeah. Right? Yep. So, what they're saying is that this would – so, money, for instance, that would be what they would call an indifferent. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just a thing. Yeah. And the only thing that gives it value is our own perception of it. Yep. Right? So, they would say, all right, so that's indifferent. Now, I would prefer to have money than not have money, but I'm yep. not going to stake my happiness on it. Mm. Not going to stake your happiness on it. So, in a sense, it doesn't have power over you? Absolutely. Okay. All right. 
Now, let's go back to talking <laughs> about our history and our teachers because yep. they illustrate this really well, right? So, there are again, I'm going to you're going to get angry letters of this, right? But there are there are three main stoics, mm. right? I know, God, people are going to be throwing tomatoes at me, right? But there are three main ones, yep. right? And they are Seneca the Younger, uh, that is Epictetus, and Marcus Aurelius. Now, let's look at those three guys, right? So, first of all, Epictetus was a slave and oh. then became a free man. I was expecting that, okay. All right. Seneca was the Jeff Bezos of- This time. Of his time, okay. right? He was the wealthiest dude, more money than anything. Yep. Marcus Aurelius was the most powerful man in the world, mm. and he was, you know, the Roman emperor. You know, the Roman emperor, right? So you get those three viewpoints, and they're all saying the same thing. So with all of that power from Seneca and Marcus Aurelius, yep. that could have anything in the world. Mm like literally anything in the world, they came back to those central tenets that I can have all of this stuff, but that doesn't make me good nor bad. Mm. It's only my internal perception of it. Do you think it's interesting that it is so, I guess the word is universal, that there is a universal, uh, I guess, truth to, to, to what we call the human experience because the 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 thoughts and experiences that these three people have, they all arrive at the same destination. And go go broader as mm. well. I mean, these all, all these things that I'm talking about, you know, detachment from externals, I mean, like that's that's one of the, the eightfold path, you know? Like, <laughs> I mean, you know, that is Buddhism, right? Mm. Christianity has many of the same things. Um, Buddhism, Judaism. Now, I don't want to get down to talk about you know religion because yep. if I'm not an if I'm not an academic for, for Stoicism, I'm sure not one for religion, right? But all of the world's great traditions come and religions come back to these very similar viewpoints. Mm. You know that our happiness is found inside of us, and it is not found in the pursuit or attainment of these goals outside of us. Are there any rules to Stoicism? Um, only one, really. Don't right. tell anybody about it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> we don't talk about Stoic Club. Um, <laughs> the only rule is that everything that you should do should be um, uh, made in the pursuit of virtue. Which goes back to the four. Which goes back to the four cardinal virtues. Yeah, it's it's interesting because until this day, I've never heard or seen the word cardinal used in front of virtue. I've only seen it cardinal sins. Cardinal, yeah, right. Yeah, I've never seen it like cardinal virtues before. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, and and it's the same concept though. You know, these are the cardinal sins. You know, where all other sins are subjugated mm. under. Right? It's a similar sort of thing. Right? Um, people think about it as part of um, Christianity, but the term cardinal virtue actually goes back way before. You know, uh, back to Plato, I think. You know, um, why isn't Stoicism regarded as a religion? 
Well, I think it comes back to what a there's no deity, right? Mm -hmm. There's no you know there's nothing to worship, and there is also no dogma, right? Uh, I mean, one of the one of the criticisms criticisms of Stoicism is that you know it can't be considered a contemporary philosophy because of the way you know because you, you think about the environment that it grew up in. You know, where slave ownership, like everyone had yeah. slaves, you know, like it's the norm, you, yeah. You went to the gladiator, you know, the gladiator games and see people cutting people up to yep. bits and all that sort of stuff, yep. right? Um, so you know, how can you use tenants from that environment and bring it up to today? But what I would say to that is Stoicism took a long break. Oh, right. What do you mean? Well, so Stoicism kind of finished up and, well, kind of after Marcus Aurelius, really. So that's 181 AD, I think, is when he died, right? <laughs> um, so really, there wasn't much until maybe Montaigne in the 16th century that didn't say the Stoicism per se, but then, but, you know, used a lot of the same sort of tenants and you know the same philosophies yep. right and reference the stoics yep. then you took a oh, kind of a big break really a couple other johnson and sort of the 17th uh, 18th century sorry and then schopenhauer who isn't who is a uh, existentialist mm. so again this is another kind of it's a brunch it's not oh, i think ex existentialist would um, not like that <laughs> terminology, but there are a lot of shared sort yeah. of things, right? Yeah. Yeah. Schopenhauer definitely talked a lot about Seneca and um, in particular, everyone's got their favourite Stoic mm. philosopher, right? Um, so he talked a lot about that and there's some references there. Then you kind of get up to the early 20th century where um, the people, uh, the movement before cognitive behavioural therapy came along where that was kind of like, oh, hang on, this is pretty good. We can use this in our therapist room. Mm. And then, and again, another big break until kind of today, today mm. right? So this isn't something that has been a continued school of practice stoicism for the last 2,200 years. It's like big hit, lots of nothing, and then a little spurt where yep. we are right now, yep. right? So getting back to the point would be, I think that if you if that school of Stoicism has extended over all the times, it would have continued to adapt mm. and change and improve and drop things out mm. and bring things back up again. Again, all in that pursuit of virtue and wisdom and self-mastery to and it would be a continually um evolving iterative process that's what i think and that's something that's different to religion religion is usually kind of this is my doctrine yes yes and you know it doesn't yeah. change and yep. if it changes it becomes a new doctrine yep. you know um stoicism's not like that so yeah it's a philosophy but it's a very practical one i have to ask um because Stoicism is, it seems very personal. It seems like a personal journey. Are there mis misreadings or even misinterpretations of these texts? 
Is there mis- misuse? Yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. So, yes. <laughs> so, I think that um, the first thing that I would say is that these are not difficult texts to read. What do you mean? What's, what's your bar of difficult? <laughs> oh, um, well, okay. So, I think when a lot of people think about the idea of sitting down and reading a, you know, an ancient Greek text oh, translated. It's terrible. You're, you're having a physical reaction yeah. there. It's like I've just put a scoby in front yeah. of you, right? <laughs> um, so, it's not that. They're very conversational. Mm-hmm. And you can sit down and read Seneca's How to Die Well in an afternoon. Okay. Right. Um, the Meditations, which is probably the most famous Stoic text, and that was that was written by Marcus Aurelius. It's almost like his personal diary. Oh wow! Right, and it's just daily aphorisms, right? A few sentences that just encapsulate wisdom. Most of them, you know, you, you can you can make an instant meme out of them. Right, Marcus Aurelius is the king, right? He was the emperor. He's yeah, the emperor. Okay. Emperor, right? So these are his personal musings when he was in power. Exactly, right? Okay. And in power in a very interesting time, which is is in the middle. Well, he would have had a lot to say about what we're going through right now because the last 20 years of his life was on the battlefront, um, facing back the, the Germanic tribes that were, you know, threatening the empire in the middle of the Antonine Plague that killed 5 million people. Right. I mean, it was just absolutely horrific, you know. So that's the this isn't him sitting in his, you know, in his palace in Rome and all (laughs) getting fed grapes and stuff. Right. I mean, this is in a tent while his soldiers are dying of either, you know, the hordes or pestilence. Right. Unknown causes, really, if it's pestilence, because at that time you really don't know what's killing your, your, your people. Well, that, that's right. And yeah. of course, and he died of it as well in the end. Right? Mm. So he, he succumbed to it. But these were his personal musings to get him through this, right? Mm. And I mean, there was also like civil wars, his, you know, his, his, um, his throne, throne, that might, might be the right word, but, you know, his throne gets challenged, yep. right, by his best friend, yep. you know, like, I mean, it's, you know, I mean, it's a rough time, right? It sounds like you're describing a TV show. Oh man, it absolutely could be. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, these are, I mean, they're incredible stories, you know. Um, and in fact, you know, you only need to look on Netflix now and there's, um, oh, Fall of Rome or something, um, okay. about, you know, the emperors. And the first episode is about his son, Commodus, right? Okay. So, you know, it's all, I mean, these are great stories and they're still getting told today. Yeah. Anyway, we're getting, oh man, we're going all over the show. I'm really enjoying this conversation. This is great, right? So, um, so anyway, does it get misused? Right. So first point, getting back to the point, if you read the texts, um, they're very easy to perceive. So it's not like, oh, I don't know what he meant by that. He could have meant this or it could have meant that. I go online and I find two big schools of thought. It's like you actually read it and it's like, well, it's pretty straightforward. You yeah. know, he's saying like- Is it logical? Oh, ultra logical. Okay. Right. Um, yeah. So they would take a thing like, like death or pleasure or wealth mm. or health and 
analytically break it down to its barest components yep. and then build it back up again and go, see, it's not actually that important, right? So you've kind of, you don't have that many, that many interpretations of stoicism. Mm. Certain things, you know, there are definitely, you know, there's some um, friendly academic debate that happens, <laughs> yeah. right? You know, there's kind of this, uh, I guess you popular stoic writers today um and they kind of you know argy-bargy a little bit but kind of in the way that is it an ego thing um could be could be i don't know i like i i don't know i i think that generally speaking most of the people writing about stoicism today have got their hearts in the right place in the right place in the right place yeah but just just a tangent of that why would let's say me if I want to read up about it? Why would I read someone uh someone's interpretation of stoicism today when I can just go back to the the, the main tree? That's an excellent question, and the answer is that you should do both. I think okay. right. Um, so you know the stoic, the ancient stoics, they come across like total dicks, right? <laughs> so sometimes it's nice to get a like a modern take and go, let's just step back in context and what's what's really happening here. Yep. So, for instance, um, you know, uh, Epictetus, I think, right, <laughs> says, you know, and, and to paraphrase, he goes, when you're kissing your child goodnight, you should say, tomorrow you will die. Okay. All right. It's pretty rough, it right? Pretty like, rough. I mean, that's you read that, but then you step back and you go, oh, "What's he actually saying there?" What he's actually saying is that tomorrow, my child, the love of my life, could die. It is so true. appreciate and hold on to all that love that you're getting right now. Mm. You know, be present with your child as you, you know, kiss them goodnight. Don't be sitting there reading a song, watching fucking YouTube on your TV, mm. you know, on your on your phone, right? So that's why it's 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 nice to balance both, mm. right? Because sometimes the ancient stuff can be pretty abrasive, right? <laughs> so you need a little bit of modern context in there as well, yep. right? Um, so I would say do both. You shouldn't do one like if you're going to choose one thing, probably go back to the main tree. Mm. But the mo- a lot of the modern writings are very entertaining, very popular, and also do a good job of integrating other um, other viewpoints and comparative viewpoints, you yep. know? Um, so it's a very balanced uh, piece of text. Balanced and also entertaining as well, right? So Ryan Holiday is mm. one of the main modern writers. Yep. He's, he's definitely not an academic. But, you know, you read one of his books, he's, read, he's written a few, but his one's on stoicism is one is um, the obstacle is the way and ego is the enemy. And you read them and they're great. Like they're this, this stories, right? The story is talking about, you know, Churchill and John F. Kennedy yep. and then all, all, you know, so they're entertaining books yep. to read, right? I wouldn't say that the ancient stoic texts are entertaining, <laughs> right? <laughs> you read them because you have to. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. You you get uh, a different sense of um, well being, <laughs> maybe right. So going back to the point about mistreating. Yeah, right. Yeah. 
So this is where I see it happening, right? So there's 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 two parts. There's let's talk about mistreating first of all. Now, let's be kind of careful because you don't want to come across like judge like I'm judging. Mm. Right? But remember when I was talking about the Silicon Valley Stoics? Yep, the second group of people. Yep. Second group of people, right? So they've taken a number of things that very rightly they talk about in the ancient Stoic texts and they go, oh, this is the secret of my success, right? I do this and it's bloody great and, you know, let me work 100 hours a week yep. and stuff. Example, cold showers. Right. Why is that an example? <laughs> <laughs> the look on your face. I just took a cold shower before coming yeah. here. Yeah. Okay, right. So what the Stoics would say is that we become slaves to luxury. Yep. We become slaves to the fine clothes that we wear, our warm showers, mm. our nice food, our soft beds, all of the creature comforts, right? Again, they're not bad. I would prefer to have nice food than not nice food, but I should also remember periodically that my happiness isn't tied up in these things. Mm. So the Stoics would go through periods of practicing adversity. Could you elaborate on that? Sure. They'd take a cold shower when they could take a hot shower. They would wear rough clothes yep. instead of wearing their finery. They would go through time fasting or eating the just the most basic of food. Mm. Um you know, even though they could, yep. they, they could eat whatever, yep. right? And so they would practice that and they would go, oh, is this really what you were scared of? You know, like, yeah, it's not, you know, these lentils aren't the nicest things that I've ever had, right? But also I'm not like- Starving. I'm not starving yep. or anything. I can continue on, yep. right? So the Stoics would use one of these, you know, ways of practicing adversity to go, you know, to, to practice that and to psychologically train ourselves to remember that our happiness isn't the warm shower. It's just a nice thing yep. that given the choice you would have rather mm. than others. It's not the cent it's not the central part of the practice. Mm. So when you get a Silicon Valley stoic, air quotes, right? Um, and they're going, you know, every morning I have a you know, a cold shower and walk on broken glass, right? <laughs> I don't always think that that's done with the intent of training wisdom and training and encouraging us to make choices during our day and our interactions that lead us to a part that's more virtuous. Mm. I think it's something hardcore, right? And... Also as well, you know, sometimes quite selfish as well. Yep. You know, um, where it's like, look, my feeling of being a cool, hardcore stoic is more important than the people yep. around me that I'm affecting. It sounds really showy when you, when you say it like that because from, from whatever you just described about stoicism, it sounds, um, it feels like an internal, uh, an internal dialogue multiple dialogues and internal battle but when when someone were to embrace it uh, as the silicon stoics do it almost feels like they are trying to i guess the word is to signal 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, a- absolutely. There, yeah. And there is a lot of that. And there's also a lot of... <sighs> um, That's a deep sigh. Well, well, yeah, because I don't think it's always the people themselves, right? So, you know, you only need to go two weeks before Forbes or something or Inc. is writing a story about how Jeff Bezos is a stoic because, I don't know, like they use doors from Amazon to uh, um, doors from Home Depot as their desks rather than actually <laughs> nice desks, right? So, something like that, right? You know? Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah, I, I, I get your point, but that doesn't make you a stoic, mm. you know? It's like- you know, and and it's like anything. You know, you know, you don't take, you don't eat a cracker and call yourself a Catholic, yep. right? Um, you know, it's part of the whole piece. Right? Do you think there's a dilution of the term based on how, um, I guess, one we consume our media to how media is put out these days? Because uh, let's say for for like an article, let's say from from, from what you described about Jeff Bezos. I would imagine that article has to be written fast. The article has to catch certain eyes. Yep. And those, let's say the words such as stoic, if it's trendy now, you say there's a resurgence within the past two decades, the past couple of years. So I would imagine something like that. First, it signals to the, 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 the people who doesn't know about stoicism and the people who knows about stoicism because it is, it attracts, uh, eyes to that particular article. 100%. Could, couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't think that, you know, writers in that, you know, article mill environment. Mill, mill is the good word. Mill yeah. is the word. Is, I don't think they're going, you know, like, let's try to make the world a more virtuous place with my article. They may well do that outside in their personal lives. But, mm. you know, it's, it, it is about clicks. It is about views and everything else. And if you can position something as a business hack, which mm. is really what yep. stoicism has become yep. as much as it pains my heart, is it's like this is a way of coping with the shittiness of, you know, being an entrepreneur, you know. Um, so there's that part of it. Then you've also got the other side of it where, you know, how do I say this? There's two stoics. There's uppercase stoic where, and that's what we've been talking about so far. This is about, you know, self-mastery, yep, self-wisdom, mm-hmm. self-analysis, mm. living a life of virtue. It's all self. Okay. It's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's all self till it gets a part where it's like, and then how do I become a part of, you know, how do I use that wisdom now that I've got that base yep. to make my community, my family, my people, my, my world a better place, right? So that's uppercase stoic. And then you've got lowercase stoic, which is a personality trait. So, you know, the, you you know, if you say um, the Navy Marine was stoic in his approach, you know, and we think about that and it's unflinching, it's cold, it's unemotional, you know, you wouldn't cry Mm. at, you know, you know, your, your son getting hit by a bus, yep, right? Yep. You know, I'm going to force it all down and, you know, all that sort of stuff, right? That is not uppercase stoicism. Mm. That is nothing, forcing your emotions down, not expressing yourself, 
that is not a part of uppercase stoicism yep. at all. Yep. Right. It sounds like someone's really bad take on it and nobody uh, even looked at the older text and people just ran with it. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't really know the etymology of the word. I mean, obviously, <laughs> the, it's the same part, but I, yep. but I think it has come from a bastardization yep. of, of the word over time. Yep. Now, just to sort of paint, paint the image here, right? So, let's use that terrible, terrible example of your son getting hit by a bus, yep. right? Now, what the Navy Marine, you know, stoic, lowercase stoic would do is they would sit there and they would feel the rage and upset welling in their bodies and they would shake and tremble, but they would force it all down and get an ulcer or something, right? <laughs> so that's what the lowercase stoic would do. Yep. Now, what the uppercase stoic would do, and Epictetus, a Seneca, a Marcus Aurelius, would grieve, would cry, would fall on the ground and, you know, prostrate themselves and experience being a human mm. in one of the most traumatic experiences a human could possibly go through. But once that reaction, once that physical reaction is gone, they wouldn't add to their misery. Mm. So this is, you know, part of that grieving, you know, there's that the processes of grieving where you would go through and you would say, well, Yes, I'm upset because my child, of course I am. Mm. Like, what am I, some sort of monster? Mm. But then what I would do is it's not about moving on, but it's about not contributing back into that misery. Mm. That I could have done that. I should have done that. It leads you, know? you down a totally different path. Yeah, that's right. And it's like, well, woulda, coulda, shoulda. It's yeah. not reality. It's mm. not what it is today. So what you can do to honor your son and everything else is is move on and you know honor his memory by being a better human being. Just based off those two examples, do you think there is that perception of that bastardization of stoicism because of our culture's um I guess sensitiveness to vulnerability? Like we are so allergic to being vulnerable these days. That there is a there is a sort of like a need to have this hard shell, this impenetrable shell, so that we don't uh, expose our vulnerabilities. Because it seems like I can imagine someone coming out with that perception just, just because of something like this. Because yeah. it is a totally different approach. Yeah, like the, the capital S stoicism. Mm. You allow yourself to be vulnerable. You allow yourself to grieve. But on the other side of that is that you don't show any emotion. You don't show that you are actually human. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, you know, you know, Kevin, I mean, everyone's running, everyone's running their shit, right? But I think what, you know, what's true is that generally, I don't want to say most people because that sounds like super condescending, but it's like we all struggle with thinking the illusion is the truth. Mm. You know, we all, and it, you know, we all know this, right? We think that people think about us and it's like, we don't. <laughs> I'm way too busy thinking about yeah. myself than we think about you, right? That's, that's the biggest con game, yeah. Yeah, exactly, right? 
So, you know, what we do is we create these, you know, these fortresses, these emotional fortresses around us to protect it. I, I agree, you know, with all of that stuff, you know, and it, it, it's, it takes a lot, again, it comes back to, it takes the courage to do the work, you know, and then, you know, we, we're right back to our four virtues again. And all of these virtues, they work together. You need, you need the courage to look inside yourself and say, you know, is this helping me? Is this helping other people? Am I being fair? Am I being kind? Mm. You know, and questioning things that we've, que- that we've assumed true for our whole lives. Yep. You know, it's no easy thing to do to suddenly go, you know what, I've worshipped the dollar. Mm. for my whole life you know everything about my education my career everything has led me to this point and now i've got everything that i always wanted and i'm still not happy what then what then what's next and you know we, we we find ourselves at a crossroad and in fact we find ourselves at a crossroad every day with every decision that we make and on one side of that road there's virtue, you know, there's self-introspection, there's thinking about how we interact with our world, having courage, having self-mastery. And then on the other hand, it, it's deepening and it's like chasing that, chasing that dragon, you know, um, chasing the high of, well, maybe my next million or maybe my next mm. wife or maybe my next car or yep. maybe, 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 maybe. And um, it's like anything, you know, we get used to going down that the dark side of the crossroad, if you like, right? It becomes a lot easier to keep on doing it because we don't know anything else, you know? Do you think it's always that clear? Fuck no. Absolutely. Mm. Sorry, I'm swearing really badly. Yeah. I don't know if this is a sort of a kid's family thing. No, it's not. <laughs> okay, all right, that's good, all right. Um, no, it's not easy at all. In fact, it's the toughest work that I've ever done. You Could know? you share a bit of your own personal history with Stoicism? Sure. I yeah, yeah, did, yeah. Did, did you learn it in school, secondary school? Did your parents teach it to you? No, What's absolutely yeah. not. I'm very new to Stoicism, mm. in fact. Um, so, you know, if I, if I sort of go back a little while, right? So, to think about where um, my thoughts around philosophy started. So about fifteen years ago, it is it is about fifteen years ago when the um, world I, was a simpler time. When the world was a simpler <laughs> time, right? Um, I got very sick, right? So I came down with a very bad um, rheumatoid arthritis. Right? What's that? Um, it's an autoimmune disease where your body attacks your own joints. Yep. And you know, it was um, it was a pretty dark time of my life. You know, there was. You know, plenty of time spent in a lot of pain, um, couldn't move, and you know, yep. it's something that I still struggle with today. Yep. Now, through that, through that process, you know, I went through what something that young men often do, right? Which is they go to the doctor, and the doctor says, "Well, we can't actually fix you. What we can do is we can put you on these on on these drugs. You're mm-hmm. probably going to be on them for the rest of your life." And um, you know, these are also the same sort of drugs that we put chemotherapy. Patients oh, it's on, brutal, yeah. right? So, you know, when you're a young, healthy, fit man that 
you know, has never had anything more than the flu or mm. a case of food poisoning in your life. That's very confronting. It was for me anyway. So I went down this um, alternative health path, right, and started getting into homeopathy and, you know, different things around, you know, different herbs and different spices <laughs> and everything else, right? Kombucha. And Yeah, and kombucha. <laughs> right? um, and... You know that really put me in in a, in a very tricky place um, health wise because you know you're kind of given and I won't go through the whole story but you're given that almost ultimatum. It's like I can cure you, but you have to come off all these drugs that the doctors put you on. Mm. All right, so you know, and you kind of go, well, shit, the doctor's not giving me that any sort of guarantee so all right and it's a lot of hope to oh. to give you something like this and Ad- if it doesn't work i mean yeah please continue yeah so there it was and you know spoiler it didn't work right <laughs> um you know uh, and i pursued that for you know sort of a couple of years or something yeah and um then you know and i ended up sort of walking with a cane and you know like it was you know it not what wasn't a great time, right? So anyway, kind of got through that, and I then had this complete opposite flip, where I was so focused on these alternative medicines and homeopathy and everything that I went full skeptic, right? Okay. So skepticism was my next philosophy, right? So. You know, and I dived right into that world and, you know, I was going to bust all of these charlatans and quacks and everything else and listening to every podcast and everything that I could put my hand on about skepticism. Mm. And I learned a lot of really amazing stuff out of that, right, especially around critical thinking and decision making and, you know, understanding um, logical fallacies, right? So there's a lot of practical stuff, but it's a very – I found it to be – a very bitter, um, cynical worldview. It was basically, you know, and I don't know what the movement looks like today, but the people that I was following at that time, it was very much like, we're smart, you're dumb, go fuck yourselves, right? So, you know, and I don't want to say that there was anything where I'm like, well, I'm no longer a card-carrying skeptic, but my enthusiasm my enthusiasm for it waned mm. because i just i was never comfortable with that um that idea that this isn't really about improving anything this is just about you know putting people down almost right sounds like a deflection yeah <laughs> yeah okay so skepticism that doesn't work all right well what about somewhere in the middle and you know, that's where I sort of started getting more into meditation. And I never went into full Buddhism, but certainly a spiritualism, yep. right? So, you know, I started um, listening to philosophies of Alan Watts of the time, right? Um, and, you know, l- liking that, feeling a better fit, but there was still something missing. Mm. and. That sort of that that thing was a, a sense, a feeling of passivity. That, passivity, 
like being passive that you know we just sit down we meditate you know we do that for 30 or 40 years and we're not attached to anything right okay and you know that's kind of the the road to nirvana or whatever right so it's very removed from a lot of things removed from life mm. almost right now i'm just telling you my story right this isn't a criticism against any one of these things yeah, I'm, of I'm by no means yeah, it's accredited totally to yeah. do it right but there was this idea that it's like well i don't want to remove myself from life i don't want to remove myself from society and doing things that interest me and a, and having a career and you know doing that sort of you know mm. like being a human right again and um what well, and then that's where i came on to stoicism where for me it seemed that perfect balance between introspection actually understanding who i am and what's going on in my head but also a framework where i could have a larger contribution to the world and you know help you know help help lift the civilization up even just a tiny little bit so how long have you had the membership to stoicism um less than two years so how has your views on your illness has it changed oh that's a really good question um so today uh i'm very well medicated so i don't actually think <laughs> about it all that much right but i have actually so when you get room um rheumatoid arthritis and this is something i can share that only happened a few days ago in fact right so when you get one of these rheumatic illnesses autoimmune diseases generally what happens is that they, they peak and trough they wax and wane over time so and when you're when you're peaking when the, and the illness is peaking it's called a flare yeah it's right? flare so up. you flare up yep. right and one of the side effects of or, or um one of the symptoms of my particular illness isn't just the joints but it's also a a rash that's oh, i don't know if you can even see any on me no uh you know, a little bit there right okay but um you know it's a, it's a rash that i get on my skin and it becomes incredibly itchy right very you know like the worst unbearable, mosquito yeah. unbearable kind of thing right now back in the time that used to like send me to the brink of insanity like it w- and i would get into these loops of thinking about it's never going to get better and it's mm. just and oh god you know it's like my blood is itching and then i'm thinking about what that image looks like of ants crawling through your veins oh, and man. your blood system scratching at your skin right and i feel, I I feel i can't even breathe yep, you know yep. like in this right now last week i had a bit of a flare and i was like oh that's an itch okay well what does that itch actually feel like well it feels like it well how how much of my body is that affecting oh just a just a little bit well it's like a 50 cent coin yep um sized you know itch okay well what would that look like if that was a a, a 10 cent sized itch <laughs> and then i wonder what would that happen if i just let it itch for a couple of minutes like what would that happen right and that would be a i think that i for me that's a stoic approach 
to that symptom. Where it's like, let's not make this into something that it's not. Let's not add misery to this unpleasant sensation and look at it just for what it is, which is an unpleasant situation or an unpleasant sensation, I should Mm. say, right? Um, So that would be how I would summarize, you know, like something here. Now, when you get, you know, a major chronic illness that lasts a long period of time, there's a weird emotion that gets tied up with it, you know, like Mm -hmm. is this punishment for something that I did, you know, could I have done something else and different or, you know, and there's a weird personality that the illness um, takes on. And I can say definitely that through stoicism, that's really helped me diffuse any of that thought about personality or really even caring about diffuse it. is a very interesting word because it doesn't mean that those thoughts go away mm. you still have those thoughts it, yeah. it doesn't magically go away no absolutely you know and you know i think what you have is so there was a um another writer um yeah i guess right that <laughs> used a lot of stoic concepts. They're definitely used in the same conversation as a guy called Viktor Frankl. Okay. And um, Viktor Frankl wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And it was written in the context of him being a prisoner in Auschwitz. Mm, Right. Okay. And it goes through a lot of, you know, just, stories that are just every bit as horrible as you could imagine right and you know the way you would sort of say is that the people that managed to survive it are the ones that found meaning in their lives throughout that suffering throughout that suffering and one of the the one of the most quoted parts or most referenced part is it talks about that freedom is found in the space between stimulus and response. What does that mean? So let's break that down. Yeah. So remember what we were talking about, very first question, you were like, well, what is stoicism? And we were talking about how people live their lives thinking that their reactions to the stimuluses in their lives, that like that's what their life is and they can't do anything about it. Mm-hmm. All right. So you've got this thing where, it ends up, you, you live life thinking there's only two things. There's the thing that happened and then the response that I had to it. Two things. Mm. What Viktor Frankl would do, leverage in and pull those two things apart and go, no, 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 there's not two parts. There's three parts. There's the stimulus, what happened. Mm. There's what I think about that stimulus and the way that I react to it. Is it a shifting of the original uh, polarized end to the middle? So, um, well, let, maybe I use an example, mm. right? So, um, let's say, let's say we're playing tennis. Okay. All right. You look like a competitive guy. I'm a pretty competitive guy as okay. well, right? We'll, we'll figure it out later. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly right, right? Don't tell the neighbors, right? <laughs> so we start playing playing the game and it's 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 fierce, right? And then, you know, I I, you know, hit the ball wrong. 
it you know goes over lose the match right and in that moment i'd smash my racket on the mm. you know on the court i storm off and i'm all angry and i think well what just happened there well i lost the most important point of the match and i freaked out yep two things stimulus losing the point reaction, reaction. yeah i got angry and, and 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 went crazy yep what we have to train ourselves to do is go no 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 there's there's what we think about that reaction or that stimulus. So I can go, I still lose the point, but I go, and as I feel that anger rising in me, I can say, well, actually, what just happened here? I hit the point wrong. I lost that point. It doesn't mean anything. I won lots of other points during the game. It doesn't actually mean anything in the in the long run, I've got a friendship here with my tennis partner that I want to maintain. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to acknowledge that feeling of anger, but I'm not going to respond to it. What does acknowledgement look like? Because all this has to happen within a split second. Because the that the time for from losing that point to let's say smashing the the tennis racket on the floor is within a split second because it is so um what's that word for it? We are so accustomed mm-hmm. to exhibiting these emotions, yeah. Yeah, all right. And we're almost validated for it in a weird way, yeah. Because totally. if, if, let's say, you, you you were to smash the racket, I would react. Yeah. And that is a sort of like a pseudo-validation. And then if whatever your emotional state is at that point, you might counter-react and something might happen. Absolutely, right? So, you're right, you know. How do you do this in a split second? Like, you know, because all you, you know, um, well, it's just a gift to all your listeners. It's like, no, 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 don't get angry about stuff. Just think about what you feel before you react, right? Not great, not great advice, terrible advice, right? So, what you do is you practice. You practice and practice and practice through tools like negative visualization. Negative visualization. You are starting to sound like the most horrible uh, motivational speaker ever. I like that. Yeah. I like that, yeah. right? That's my that's my new LinkedIn title, right? <laughs> so when we think about, oh, let's talk about negativity. Yeah, that's great, right? So when we when we think about visualization, when we think about our dream board, you know, where we get a court board and put pictures of mansions and cars. That's and, what we're know, taught to do. That, that's yeah. what we're told to do, yeah. right? Well, no, 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 no. The Stoics would say. Bugger doing the positive visualization, you should be focusing on negative visualization. Because, and the, and there's a very good reason for that. And the biggest one that I can think of is there is an asymmetricality between bad things and good things. What do you mean by that? Let me use an example. You're going to the doctor tomorrow for your annual checkup. You go in. What is the best possible news that your doctor could tell you at the end of that checkup? Uh, Clean bill of health. Clean bill of health. Yeah. Right. So, pat on the back. Nice work, Kevin. Get back to doing what I'm doing. Yep. Right. What is the worst possible thing that your doctor could say? I guess cancer. Right. Yep. Go home and organize your affairs. Yeah. What value, what possible value is there in visualizing that positive outcome? 
what value is there in visualizing a positive outcome? In that interaction. Assurance? Maybe, sure, right? What value is there in um, visualizing on that worst outcome? Preparedness. Preparedness, mm. exactly right. So that in that moment, you can go, well, that's bad news, or that's not, actually, I wouldn't even say that. That's not news that I wanted to hear, but that doesn't change the way that I can live my life, what's remaining of it, right? Why would you say that's bad news? You rephrase it, that's not news I wanted to hear because there is no objectivity to it, or there is an objectivity to it. It's not good news, it's not bad news, but it's just news that perhaps you might not want to hear, which is kind of true. Exactly <laughs> right, you know, and that's that's the trap, right? You, you asked before about what, what's, the, what's the stoic rule book, right? And that would be the other one, right, is be very, very careful about what you label as good and bad because the only good things and bad things are things that we control. Mm -hmm. And we don't control our health. We think that we, we own- think we control it, yeah. Yeah, we think we control our health, but we do not control our bodies. All we control is our mind. Mm. Um, so, and even, you know, and even then, we don't even control all of our mind. Not a lot, yeah, not all a right? lot, really. Not a lot, right? So, actually, all we can do is control our opinions and our judgment. That's it, mm. right? So, good and bad only lies there. Um. And there's lots of different ways, especially with health, that the Stoics rephrase that. So you go, well, the doctor tells you that you're dying of cancer. Well, that's not bad. That's just bad to you. Because people get told they're getting cancer all the time. You know, there's thousands of people in Singapore, yep. you know, with cancer today, right? Um, and we don't go, oh, that's so bad. Mm. You know, it's just life, right? And it's just that happens that life is happening to you now. Yep. So you think in your own mind that you are so important that this becomes bad. Well, in the big scheme of things, it's not bad at all. It's just like death. Mm. Well, people have been dying for, you know, for as long as yeah. things are being, being born, right? For as long as there's life, yeah. Yeah. So, um, so that's why we would practice that negative visualization because we would prepare ourselves because there are, we're, we're going to be emotional. We're going to have a physical reaction, you know, an emotional reaction. But we need to practice that once that has passed and we've acknowledged it, right? Because we're human beings, right? We've acknowledged that, mm. you know, that, that negative emotion, that negative reaction. And then we can go, okay, well, let's be wise about this. And what's the next step, you know? Is it? Is it about being pessimistic? Is there a difference? Or being, I guess, it, it feels to me like it's a little bit uh, cynicism, a little bit skepticism, a little bit being pessimistic. I would dare say a little bit optimistic at times. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit of everything. Well, it's a, um, it's again, it's an interpretation, right? So, what the what the Stoics would say is that negative, like having negative visualization, isn't 
being pessimistic. It's being realistic. It isn't being pessimistic, but it's being realistic. Wouldn't this mean that reality is objectively um, there? Like, bad? <laughs> How do you mean? Um, I can't find another word that replaces a pessimism. Yeah. Okay. Like so, you're, you're you're expecting bad things to happen in preparedness for yourself, so that if it does happen to you, you are peachy. Yeah, right. <laughs> I like that. Right. So, okay. So, if we think about because, and this is where it kind of gets a little bit complicated, right? Yeah. I might need to bring out my whiteboard, right? <laughs> but there are, um, and I'll use one example, right? So there are negative. Um, let me get this right. So there are negative responses that can be useful or not useful. Right. Mm -hmm. Let yeah. me use an example. Yep. All right. So um, every night I worry, stay up all night worrying about my family if I died. Right. What, how would they survive? What would they do? Blah, 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 blah. Right. And every night I get those, I can't, I, I, yep. I, I can't breathe Symptoms. feelings yep. that, we, that we've all had. Yep. And I worry about it and I ruminate on it and it's just driving me nuts. That is fear. Fear is a not useful reaction. Mm. Right. The positive way to react is go, I'm worried about my family. You know, um, I want to make sure that my family is well taken care of mm. if I die. That's it's the same thing, right? Yes. We're at the same root point at the moment, yeah. right? In our first case, I've gone spiraling down into the fear and worry about that. Yep. On the other side, I go, well, what's a, wh what would happen if this happened? What would be the range of things that would happen? Mm. Okay. And then- what can I do to prepare my family for that eventuality? You write I a might, will. I write a will. Yep. I get life insurance. I do whatever, I, like I think, yep. right? So where we come from that same route, on the, on the bad side, right, we go into fear. On the positive, useful side, we go into caution. Okay. All right. So, caution is the thing that keeps us safe. Mm -hmm. It's the thing that stops us being reckless. Mm. Um, and that requires some, some, some wisdom and some introspection to, to be able to do. Right. You know, you also, you can, you can flip that on the other side and you can look at pleasure mm. as an example. So, again, pleasure has a useful side to it and a not useful side to it. On the not useful side, it's like rack up some lines, let's get some prostitutes, yep. right? You know, and I'm just going to chase hedonism. Yeah. And then on the useful side, that can be about, you know, experiencing, you know, experiencing all that it is to be a human being mm. and, you know, moving forward to a place where, 
you know, we're not happy because of the hedonism, but it's a um, it's a state where we can look back and feel contentment at the way that we've lived our lives. And the Greeks had a very special word for that, and it's called eudaimonia. And it's that it's the good life. Eudai? Eudaimonia. Is there an English translation for that? Uh, I think it's been anglicized. I, 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 um, I, eudaimonic, maybe that's a, <laughs> that's, a, that's a word, right? But basically what it means, well, again, if you were going to, if you were going to sort of translate it into lay English, you would say, you know, it's that feeling of contentment of living a life worth living. It's a, it's our deathbed happiness, if that makes sense. I can't imagine a lot of people will be happy on their deathbed. That's what we're trying to solve here. <laughs> right? That's what we're trying to do. Right? Do you actually think it's something that could be solved? Fuck yeah, absolutely I do. If you're prepared to do the work for it. Mm. You know, and what is that work? It's about knowing what you what what you're here to do and making every decision that you can in the pursuit of virtue. You know, and you can experience everything that life has to offer. You know, along that way, but if you stay that true path of every day trying to make you know, decisions and have interactions with people that, you know, in some way strengthen or enforce that idea of wisdom, temperance, courage, justice, right? You will lie on your deathbed and you will think, I lived a good life. Mm. Do you think that there is, there's just too much I guess, would you call them distractions in society today? Because if, if, if someone has knowledge of all this and, and they will see the amount of work, the amount of even self work, not work, self work that they have to do seemingly on a minute to minute basis, really. Mm. It, it's not something that you can step in once. It's not like religion, religion. Some people just step in on weekends, step out on weekdays, they do whatever. Yeah. But this, goes beyond that this is like a 24 7 you have to i guess the word is moderate your thoughts you actually have to be at the center of it you have to observe your thoughts you, you're not just blindly thinking because there there have been a lot of talks or papers about how your thoughts just wander and it spirals based on emotions based on circumstance based yeah. on things happen external things yeah how would an individual um handle and juggle all these things on top of having a career, on top of being successful, on top of gaining uh, a, a, a footing in society? Oh, man, that's uh, you're asking really good questions here. So the first thing that I would challenge, I would say I don't think there's anything special about our time that we're living in at the moment. Mm-hmm. Right. So social media, for instance. Um, you know, it's all about the lit. It's it's all about the likes, right? It's all about you know the clicks, right? All that sort of stuff, right? We all know that, right? You go back two thousand two hundred years ago, and if you walked into the amphitheater, you would have applause. Sorry, applause. You'd have applause, right? But you would have the sophists, right? So 
it's two kind of groups, right? And there's a lot of parallels between what we see today and, and, and what we saw 2,200 years ago, right? So you've got um, philosophers like Seneca, like Epicurus, um, uh, like Cato, right? You know, and these are the, the ones that are talking about the shit that we're talking about today, yeah. right? And then you've got the sophists, which are like orators, you know. They're, I've never heard of them. <laughs> yeah, they're um, like they're personal media personalities. They're more like news presenters, mm-hmm. right? And the trick is, is that they'll say anything to get the favor of the emperor or the favor of you know, uh, uh, magistrate or, you know, like whatever it might be, right? And the thing is, is that some of the stuff that they said was true, right? Or it's the same stuff that our philosophers were also saying, but done in a very trivial, very superficial way. What do you mean superficial? Well, it's just sort of like- um, so, for instance, you know, if there was a, I don't know, I'm making this up at the top of my head, right? So, if you had, if there was some incident that happened in the Roman court or something, right, where the emperor um, pardoned a criminal or something, right? So, yeah. make it, make something up out of that, right? Those are your raw ingredients, yeah. right? Yep. Um so then a sophist might come and talk about the virtue of mercy. Mm. But they're only doing it in the context because the emperor has just been merciful yep. and they want to get favor of it, mm. right? They next week they're talking about killing. Yeah, exactly, right? You know the 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 importance of retribution because the you know the emperor changed his mind and hung them all to death, right? Mm. Now what the philosopher would do is they would stay the course and in fact lots of philosophers have met their death right including socrates including seneca because they didn't want to compromise their they didn't compromise their beliefs for the flavor of the day i think that is courage it absolutely is and it's courage. Rawest, um uh, form yeah yeah so and that's exactly right Right, it's like, what is courage? How does courage manifest itself? And that is one way that courage manifests itself is saying the tough thing when you know that you're going to be personally, you know, um, punished for that. Mm. You know, deeply courageous, right? But getting back to our thing, do our sofas sound like anything? I mean, like that just sounds like Fox News, there, Mm. right? Or it also sounds like the you know, the memes that we see in Facebook where wise quote on plastered over the top of sunrise, you know, it's like, yes, that was a thing said by a wise person, but just because you've lifted it out of, you know, top hundred quotes to live by, you know, or something doesn't make you wise. Do you think there's a trivialization of all these uh, ancient wisdom and resources and sayings that just because of the way media is consumed these days, there is, there is a trivialization of it because those oh. sayings, like quotes by by people, 
were once, I guess, regarded as uh, wisdom. Wisdom to reflect on, wisdom to learn from, but now you can just go online, search hundred quotes, people just read them, they maybe don't even internalize them because information comes at you so fast these days. Yeah. Hmm. So let's follow that bread trail for a moment. Right. So yes, there's this um commercialization, let's call it, trivialization, right? Whatever, of ancient wisdom, right? But why? And it's it's why it's because it gets clicks, mm. it gets likes, it gets shares. Let's go back a step. Why? Because there's a deep human yearning for wisdom. Mm. This is something that we attach to, and we all live our lives. And it's like, you know, I've got a PlayStation, I've got Netflix, I've got all the things that I wanted. Why am I so fucking unhappy? Why do I feel like I'm just running away from this yawning black hole that mm. threatens to swallow me up, you know? And it's like there's got to be a better way. There has to be something that, that's more than this empty feeling that I'm carrying around like a millstone around my neck. Mm. You know, people yearn for it. So we give them what they're yearning for catchy wisdom quote right but there's but again it's like you don't sell the window dressing and say that it's a castle you know it's like again it's like how do you build a castle you pick up a rock and you lay one and then you put a rock next to it that's a very laborious example well so (laughs) so is building a good life you know um do you believe that 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 uh that yearning for, I guess, fundamental, you call them experiences, fundamental truths. Yeah. Do you think that yearning is 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 intrinsic to human beings? Like everyone has it. As as much as they try to say no, as much as they 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 they, they try to act another way, do you think that the intrinsic yearning is common? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, we talked about before about living in accordance with nature. That would be, that's part of it, mm. is like I do believe that human beings have an intrinsic, fundamental desire to leave the world a better place than what they came into. Like no one wakes up and goes, you know what, today I'm going to be evil. I agree with that. Yeah. You know? Even Hitler, right? He didn't come and say, you know what? I'm just a bad dude. You know, like he had his own fucked up, totally twisted viewpoint on what he was doing, but he thought he was doing a good thing. Yep. Right. And there's the whole, you know, we we talk about good and evil, like there are good and evil people. It's like, I don't believe in that. Right. I mean, it's totally the opposite. Everyone is trying to do their thing of, you know, getting ahead. But I think what happens is that people um, misdirect that energy. Mm -hmm. And that is a powerful energy of betterment, of greatness, you know, of of reaching for more. That's 
like that's a nuclear fission that burns within all of us. But because we don't direct it in the right places in the right way, what we end up doing is direct it in places that are that are um, unhelpful, mm. like blind pursuit of of wealth or fame or success. sex or success or pleasure, you know. And it's like I've got all this energy that needs to be directed somewhere, so I'm just going to put it here because it seems better than nowhere, you know. Yeah. And what we end up doing is, you know, it's just like a firework that falls over on the ground and just, you know, launches into into a wall, you know. Do you think that being aware of this innate um, power within you is or recognizing that there's this uh, this drive within you is really the first step? Um, because this is not something I would imagine this is not something that people might even be aware of because you, you, you used the word illusion before. Yeah. There is illusion and there is reality. And if you're not aware, you might just closely link the two together, but perhaps it's two totally different things. Mm. Yeah. Because we can't read minds. And let's say when we, when we talk to someone, we would perhaps have, we would leave the conversation with an impression of how the person is. But if we were to build on the impression, the impression might be false. It might be an illusion of the other individual. Yeah. Well, um, in the immortal words of RuPaul, how can you love anyone else if you can't love yourself? Yes, the week too. I don't know. I do know that my wife and daughter watch so much Drag Race yeah. that I've uh, that, that I know everything, all the songs and everything. Right. Um, what I would say is that the first step is self mastery. And, I, and if we go back to our virtues for a moment, right? So this is my personal belief is that wisdom and temperance or self-mastery, those are the two sort of cornerstones because that's very focused on what we, what we can control, 100% internal. We have total domain over our opinions and our judgments and the way that we think about the world and the external things. I don't think that you can um, have a lasting positive impact on the world if you haven't got that stuff squared away. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say done because yep. none of this stuff is yep. done, right? Yep. This is what I love about it is that I'll be working on this till the day that I die. But you've got to start there. Then the next step, once you've got that, you can then start exercising courage and justice mm -hmm. to have impact on your world. And that will start small and it can grow large. Yep. So if we think of those circles, we start with ourself in the middle and then it's our family and then it's our friends and then it's our societies and then it's basically the whole world. Yeah, it's the yeah. human race, right? Um, and, you know, it's not like, oh, yeah, I've got it. You know, I know that wealth isn't all that it's cracked up to be, so I'm going to change the world now, right? We have, this is a journey that we have to build up to over time. Yep. But then as we start increasing that influence that we have in 
a virtuous way, right? Because we can use wealth, for example. Wealth is a powerful tool and mm. it's a destructive tool, mm. you know? And you get someone like Bill Gates that I think is, is doing good things for the world. I think right? so too. And he's using his wealth to, you know, to exert more of that good stuff into the world, right? There are other people, don't need to go into names, right, <laughs> that might not be using their wealth in, yeah. in a positive way, yeah. right? So, we can expand our wealth, but like anything, influence is only a tool, is only good if we use it for good things. So, we start building out our influence, right, by exercising our justice and our courage. Then, and this is the trick, we, we can sneak in two additional virtues. Right. What I do? Humility and magnanimity. Please explain what I do. Okay. All right. So, if we think about, let's go through our three steps that we've just gone through. Mm -hmm. So, we've used wisdom and temperance to, <clears throat> um, to start developing our, 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 our self-awareness. Yep. Then we use our courage and our justice to increase our circle of influence. And then we use humility and magnanimity to lead and to inspire greatness in others. Because as one person, we have no leverage, right? Our output on the world is pretty like- Limited. It's pretty limited, right? And it's linear as well, right? I get better at this while I have better over my influence. But if we can inspire other people to greatness, and if we can get that, that becomes exponential. Mm. And that's where the impact really lies. So what you have in these other two virtues is you've got humility, which is this idea that we live to serve and we live to serve more than just the, the God of ourselves. Right? We, we, we are here to help other people, you know, and that can be small or large or whatever else, right? It's nothing about the, the size of the impact. It's just about that awareness of, you know, we're here to help other people. And then magnanimity <clears throat> is that inspiring of greatness to help other people see that there's more, um, there's more potential, there's more things that they, more ways that they could live their life than perhaps what they're doing now to have a greater positive impact. So I think when you look at these sort of, four main virtues and these two kind of supplementary ones, you know, to me that seems a good direction to head towards if we're really, you know, legitimately going, you know, what, I'm going to live a good life. And that means being good to myself, increasing my influence, but also like leaving a legacy that will continue to improve the human race even after I'm dead. And it builds upon itself. Absolutely. It isn't you, you can go straight to humility without having done the internal work of self mastery and wisdom. Yeah. Because it's a bit off balance. Would it, it be like that? You can't pick and choose what virtues you want. Yeah, I agree. I mean, well, I mean, I think that, so it, it's certainly not saying that as I'm working on wisdom, I can't treat people kindly of course. and fairly, yeah. right? Um, you know, so all of these things work. You know, it's a big mishmash of, you know, stuff. And we need to be discerning about, well, what virtue is, is actually appropriate in this action, mm. right? Because, um, you know, sometimes you might 
have self-control, for instance, temperance, right? So it's like, I'm not going to fly off the handle. But sometimes it is appropriate to fly off the handle. If that was going to save someone's life, mm. you would like you would yell and scream and jump up and down and yeah. do whatever you could, right? Agreed. Other times you, you would not, right? So, you know, you don't just go full virtue all the time, right? You, like, you need to kind of be discerning, right, and think about this. And again, how do you do that? Well, you practice it and you think about these things and you think about these situations and you think, well, that'd be nice if it went right, but what would it, what would it look like if it went wrong? And what would be a wise way of responding to that, you know? Yeah, I'm very curious to know, um, do you think that there's a dark side to these six virtues? Having too much of it. Like, no. Like having too much wisdom. No. No? And I think that's... Um, that's the beautiful thing about them and why they are virtues. Uh, sorry, sorry. Wind that back, right? Why they are cardinal virtues is that you can't have too much of any one of these things. You can't have too much courage because if you have too much courage, you're not being courageous, you're being foolhardy. Or brash mm. or reckless. Yep. Right. Um, you know, you can't be too, you know, you can't have too much kindness, right? When you when that gets to a to a negative point, that becomes empathy. Right. And that's that's weird. And people are gonna go, What? Did he just say empathy is yeah, a bad what did thing? I ask you about right. That, yeah. And it's like, I don't think empathy is a a bad thing, but I think it is way overrated, <laughs> right? Because empathy becomes bad mm. when I take your suffering and make it my suffering. Is that the definition of empathy? Well, I mean, you know, what is empathy? Well, it's trying to understand. It's trying to understand how a person is feeling. Mm. Right now, that is something that you can have too much of. Yep. Right. Yep. You know, and it's like, let's go back to the example of death, mm. for instance. Right. If you're, you know, we we looked at, you know, my son that gets hit by a bus, but let's think about a neighbor's child that dies. Mm. Right now, <clears throat> we've got a few different options that we can we 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 can grieve with them. Right. So. What we could do is we could just go, look, your kid's dead. Move on. You're not going to change anything. Get over it. That's the right? brash approach. Yeah, that's the brash, right? <laughs> I mean, that's also the dickhead approach, yep. right? That is being the unhuman approach, mm. right? On the other end of the extreme, we could cry with them, that we could lament with them, that we could relive that experience again and again and again over day it's after torturous. day. It's torturous, yeah. right? And then, you know, we bring that suffering not just to ourselves, but we perpetuate that suffering in our neighbor. Where the Stoics would say is they would say, have sympathy but not empathy, right? Have sympathy for the situation. They've just lost their child. Cry with them grown with them you know and, and Seneca says he says you know um 
by all means groan with them, but don't make the groan internal. Mm. Don't make their pain your pain. That makes sense. So why do you think there is such a big uh, misinterpretation of empathy? Empathy is the word that gets thrown around quite a lot these days. Yeah, you gotta have more empathy. You gotta have, you gotta have not even sympathy. You gotta empathize more with. You have, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Um, I don't know the answer to that question. I, you know, I could take a few guesses. Please. You know, I mean, I think that, again, it's pretty easy to sort of like top life hack all this stuff, you know. and <laughs> Top life. Yeah, top life hack. Oh, yeah, just be more empathetic, you know. And it seems so, so human, mm. you know. It seems so, it seems so right. And I'm like- it, it is, I'm sure. Like, I mean, there's a positive side. To a degree, yeah. To a degree, right? But I think, you know, and we, we see it so often that, you know, people that try to save the world end up just making themselves unhappy because they don't do it in a, in a positive action way. It's like a, it's a wallowing. Oh. You, you know, it's, it's a like bathing in the misfortune fortune you know of other people and mm. oh it's okay and i understand exactly what you mm. feel and you know and i mean even that well you don't understand exactly what i feel agreed you can't yeah all you're doing is actually is probably enforcing your own ego about how empathetic you are and how in mm. touch you are with other people right um so it's like anything you know i mean the poison is in the dose that's a good thing. So, but getting back to the thing, you know, like the original thing is that with those four virtues, you can never be too wise. You know, you can never have too much temperance or self-mastery over your emotion. You know, you can never be too courageous. You can never be, you know, never have too much morality. I, I can't imagine a lot of people being aware of this because... The logical conclusion, if more people were aware of such practices, of such a mindset, to the framework to look at reality through, a lot of things in, let's say, happening in America right now wouldn't happen. Because when I think of the word justice, I inadvertently think about social justice. Mm. Um, while intentions are right, uh, circumstantial evidence uh, validates certain causes. Mm. But it seems to me that uh, I think you really hit the nail on the head right there about people trying to change the world or wanting to change the world without first working on themselves. Yeah. Um, I agree. You know, I think that, you know, I mean, it's, it's tough, right? Yeah. I mean, it's real <laughs> tough, right? Because, you know, you, you sort of, you know, you feel so drawn in to wanting to comment about what's going on in America mm. at the moment. And, you know, we're seeing so many, you know, influences and celebrities and stuff just like 
ham fisting this stuff. I right? agree. Yeah. And going in and going, because I've got a platform, I'm qualified to speak about racial injustice. Or even an obligation to, to speak about something that you might not know fully about, but you only know, let's say, uh, your two sources of news tell you about. Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I would imagine uh, for something uh, such as whatever is happening in America right now, it's very difficult for the average person to comprehend first what are the, the experiences of the, the, the people suffering over there. Yeah. And even just uh, to consume the amount of uh, information, I think that it's ridiculous to ask of anyone to, to, to even digest that mountain of information. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, like, there is definitely, I'm not saying you can't do all this stuff with, you know, with news media and social media and all this information hitting her, but it makes it really difficult, you know? It's like, you know, if you want to meditate, you don't go down to Orchard on at lunch hour, right, and sit in the middle of the road, right? I think it's pretty empty now, though. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe um, you should. <laughs> you don't go to a Trump rally in Tulsa. It was, you know, anyway, yep. right? Yep. You know, you know. So limiting, you know, there are practical steps that we can that we can use to make to limit the amount of information that we bring mm. into our lives, right? Right down to you know, like pick up your phone and turn your notifications off, yep. you know. Um, so I think that there's absolutely a big part of it is like, we need to make good choices about how we spend our time. And making good choices. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's important. Um, you know, so that's, that's on that, you know, like that's on the information side. Um, then, you know, we think about how we treat our bodies, you know, and, you know, if we're drunk all the time or high, well, we're probably not in Singapore, you but you know what, here, right? Yeah. Allegedly. Uh, yeah, allegedly, right? I heard, I heard there was one dude in 1984, right? Um, but, you know, you, you know, like that makes it really difficult to live a good life if you're always, you know, or if not, not even if you're not always, but if you're taking out a pie, you know, a slice of your pie, your time pie, right? And, you know, you're effectively throwing it away or yeah. wasting it by either consuming too much information or putting yourself in a mental state where you can't make positive choices. Um, but then getting back to, you know, what's happening in the world at the moment, it's like, well, what's the best way of making a positive change? Now, I'm already wading into dangerous waters here because, you know, I'm, I mean, your listeners can't see who I am, but I'm the problem here, right? I'm a what white, um, I'm a, a white middle, upper middle class dude that thinks he's woker than what he is. <laughs> That's the problem. the problem. Sorry? And you are the problem? I think I'm part of it, right? I mean, you know, I'm not getting dressed, you know, like I'm not far right mm. sp spitting hate crimes, right? But I'm just kind of like, you know, you kind of go through like, oh, what's the problem? You know, I treat, pe I, I treat people fairly, mm. you know? 
But the thing is, I don't know what the problems are. You know, I don't know what the problems of women in the workplace are because I've never experienced yeah. that. Intellectually, I kind of have a bit of an idea. We can empathize. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I mean, I can go, yeah, well, I know that, you know, like when I look at this chart of, you know, incomes, right, by equality, that looks wrong to me, right? So, you know, I, I mean, I guess I'll try to be aware of that or something, right? But it's like, I don't know what that that that, feels like. that feels like and what that pain is, right? Yeah. And same for racial injustice as well, you know? It's like, yeah, I'm I'm I am part of the problem. So by being that just that oh, everything seems all right to me, right? That's the problem, right? So okay, so if that's the problem, well what can I do to have the biggest impact on making that change? How can I shift the needle? Well, you know, I can um I can have conversations with people like you that help maybe influence one person to pick up a book about stoicism and read something about it and find some sort of value in their life, mm. right, to making a virtuous choice. Right? Cuz I think a lot of this stuff well it all comes back to virtue, right? We wouldn't be in the situation if everyone was living a life virtue, right? Actually, contrary to popular belief, life might get a bit stale. Think about it. How that do you mean? mean? It could be. It could be stale because everything will be quote unquote perfect. Unless life is, unless the simulation is really bad. If <laughs> <laughs> right. you think about it, because if, if everything was perfect, you can logically conclude that let's say everything is good. And if everything is good, then oh, there is no bad because that is the absence of good. Yeah. So unless, as I said before, the simulation is bad. Yeah. It's out to get you to a certain degree. Yeah. You should expect the, 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 the bad things to happen. Not and, expect. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can't have light without dark. Yeah. You can't have up without down. Yeah. You know, these things um, coexist, you know, and, you know, yeah, wherever, wherever there's virtue, there's vice as well, you know. Um. But yeah, so we can have conversations, you know. I mean, one of, you know, one of the things that, um, that I'm very passionate about is, is, is helping young people think about this stuff in a, in a, in a very soft way, right? So that they don't waste the first 36 years of their lives like I did, you know? So I'm involved in scouting organization, right? Scout. Scouting. Like scouts, like Boy Scouts, you know? Ah, right? okay, okay. So, you know, as a scout leader, I get this amazing platform to talk to young people in a very, you know, like sideways matter about being a good person in a community. What you know? ages are we looking at? Uh, eight to ten is what? the section that I'm looking in at the moment. Do you even understand what you're saying? No, of course they don't, right? <laughs> but I'm not going in and going, well, uh, Seneca was talking about blah, 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 right? No, so, I mean, last week, for instance, we did something about hearing impairment, mm. you know? And you dress it up in a lot of fun, right? Let's learn some sign language together, you know? And this is how you say how are you? Mm. I am, I, you know, I am good. You yeah, know, yeah. I am, your listeners can't see me doing sign yeah. language. <laughs> Terrible sign, sign language, language, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Right. But then there's an opportunity to talk about it. It's like, well, what are some ways that if you met a someone with hearing impairment in your society that you might be able to help them? How might they be feeling? And they have a conversation and, you know, they think about it and it's like, well, you know, maybe I wouldn't, you know, cover my mouth while I speak to them so they could see my lips, yeah. you know. It's just little sparks, you know, that some of these sparks catch and, you know, they burn, yeah. you know, and, they, they, burn. and they burn over a long period of time. So, you know, again, we sort of come back. It's like, well, I, I don't think the answer is going, you know, I stand for racial, you know, racial equality. Well, of course I do. But what can I actually do? You know, what can I read to increase my worldview so I get a deeper appreciation of the impact that I can have in the world? How can I help other people see that? How can I have the right conversations and helpful conversations, mm. not unhelpful ones? That is a very good distinction between uh, constructive and destructive. Because yeah. it could be mis misconstrued because you were talking about the energy and energy has to be directed somewhere. Mm. And oftentimes it seems that, uh, let's say, channeling something towards something destructive, it might give you perhaps a momentary flash of, I guess, validation and momentary exertion of force. But I would imagine something more constructive. It's a bit more long term. It's, 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 it's bigger, really. Yeah. Because yeah. Ed educating, um, Taking in more information to to give yourself a more balanced worldview, and even challenging your own assumptions. I think it goes back to the self mastery. It goes back to the self work. Yeah. Which, if you have had a worldview of like let's say a decade or two decades, that might be a little bit difficult to 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 change. It it's it's difficult to change if you're not prepared to do the work, right? I mean, we have this we have this incredible responsibility of time. We you as know, humans? We as humans. You time. Know, time. What do you mean by that? So, you can say, you could frame, so, a human life's long or short? Short. Or long, right? So, you, you could make an argument for either. Two things right? can be true at the same time. Yeah, of yeah. course, right? So, a life is too short if, you throw it away, right? By, you know, not doing it, you know, not doing anything with your life, yep. right? Or it can be really long and you can accomplish amazing things if you use that time productively and, you know, it comes back to action, you know? So we kind of have this thing where our greatest asset is the time that we have. We already throw away seven hours a day in sleep, right? <laughs> That's too <laughs> yeah. much milk in it. But uh, maybe throw away is a bit thing. But, you know, like- you invest. We invest, right? Yeah, that's right. You invest in the dream stock. Pre preventative maintenance, <laughs> yeah. right? There, there's this saying I remember. Um, the days are long, but the years are short. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, another, another one, similar vein, you know, people- um, People- overestimate what they can do in a day and underestimate what they can do in a year, you know? But at the end of it, it all comes back to action. You know, we can sit here and philosophize and navel gaze and, you know, think of it. And it's like, yes, you need to invest some time in that because like we were talking about before, you need a base 
to be able to exert your influence in society. But once you're comfortable in that, you have an obligation, you have a duty to use your time productively, <laughs> you know, and, and be an effective human being. One could argue that action is, it could be hard, it could be difficult. Goes back to what you said. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, and again, like, you know, I'm, like I said, the most unmotivating motivational <laughs> speaker ever, right? Um, you know, I mean, it's kind of like, you can do anything, but it's going to be really, really hard and, you, you know, um, and you're going to rail against it. But, you know, when we're coming back to reality, we, we wake up in the morning and we can choose to use our time well, not use it at all or, or use our time poorly. And we make that choice every day. Every hour, you know, every week we say yes to things that we should be saying no to. We say no to things that we should be saying yes to. I think it's very important to to realize that we actually have a sort of innate power, really. Yeah. And we have power far beyond our um, expectation and our day-to-day awareness, and I think. You're studying some really hokey, though. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that's my wheelhouse right there, right? You know. Okay, let's uh, let's let's talk about something lighter. All right, sure. Aliens, where, right? No, no, no. Where do you think ideas come from? Oh, um, wow, that is a non sequitur. That's a good one. Um, where ideas come from? So, I think that ideas happen in the connection between other ideas. Okay. Um, well, I think, f- first of all, true, true originality is very, very rare. We, we, we hardly ever see it. Mm-hmm. But what we do see is we see um, synthesis of different ideas and different applications that cross fields i think um and i mean you must see that in 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 graphic design where if all graphic designers only looked at other graphic designers there would be no there'd be no innovation there'd be no innovation right so i'll throw that around in your in you know in in that sphere where do you get your ideas from uh i particularly look at things outside of it I look at words. I think I'm more inspired by, let's say, uh, let me think of a word. Let's say decay. Decay, for example. I think I can come up with different, different adjacent definitions of it. Mm-hmm. And with those definitions, I can come up with different images of it. Uh, I try to kind of imagine, um, images that might not be, uh, what People will first think of the KS. So I think that is where the slow mind map of connectivity uh, mm. come from. But with regards to ideas in general, I think we attract different ideas, ideas and ideologies. Yeah. I think through uh, just exposure to like different influences, different ideas and everything, we just attract these things. These things stick mm. to us. Yeah. Yeah. Sort of like in the, you're saying, you know, we were talking about the torrent of information. Is it just some of these things just kind of 
stick to us yes. like yeah, yeah. um i i remember a very good analogy it's like we are like a radio tower mm-hmm. a radio tower yeah. Yeah. i think this was i wonder if the person was talking about nikola tesla but it's just he he inherits the idea and let's say if uh if I'm doing visual arts. That mm. is just the manifestation of that. And that manifestation is called illustration, creativity, whatever intangible forces you, you want to see. But this is how I choose to, to see, um, ideas. Because mm. I've always wondered as to where ideas came from. I mean, as, as a, as a, as a visual person, as, as someone who does this as, as a profession, you're always tasked with coming out with new ideas, new ideas, new ideas. Mm. So is it a zero sum game? Is it finite? Because if it is really finite, it's quite sad. Because mm. you could have 10 ideas and let's say you have 10 ideas and we have billions of people in the world coming up with 10 ideas at once. The number would deplete quite fast. Mm. So I think it's more of um, being just open to connecting different uh, points, different visual points, being unafraid really to connect them even. Because mm. let's say if you a visual person you going back to the example of you only looking at examples of other illustrators or other graphic designers it's going to get boring real fast mm. yeah you're going to be influenced by them because unavoidably the brain picks up patterns the brain receives some emission even without you being conscious of it yeah 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 and i think that's a good point because this isn't magic <laughs> i don't magic. think ideas come out of come out of nowhere right i don't always think that those ideas are, are conscious and analytical and logical. Mm. Um, you know, sometimes they're intuitive. Mm. Sometimes they're repressed or subconscious, you know. I mean, we've all had situations where ideas, amazing ideas have come out of dreams. Well, it's not like the dream fairy just coming in <laughs> and waving their idea wand. I mean, like that's stuff that you've attracted during the day. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you think about, what we do, you know, before I was talking about how oh, stuff today isn't really that different to how it used to be. But this is completely different, right? With the internet, we have the world's information we do. at our fingertips. And that has um, great opportunity mm. and um, some some pitfalls around there as Definitely. well. Definitely. You know? So, you know, First of all, I mean, it's a great opportunity because we've got all of these, I mean, just torrents of information. It's that unprecedented, really. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. right? But then it's also this point where the internet has made knowledge just a total commodity. Commodity is a good word. Right. Yeah. You know, it's just the commodification of knowledge. And it's like any fact is at our fingertips. Yep. So information is has very very little value today for once for once exactly right it always used to be the other way around so so what has value well what has value is the connection and the synthesis of ideas and the analogy well what this is like is it's a little bit like this Mm. you know that connection has Mm. value because that's something that well AI and machine learning can't do today. That's what I wanted to say, yeah. Yeah. Um, maybe hopefully for the next 10 years. <laughs> maybe they're going to be a 10 quick years, let me tell you, right? But, yeah. you know, that's where um, that's where the opportunity and the pitfalls lie, I think, yeah. you know. But I think we can train ourselves to be better idea thinkers as well. 
Do you believe that? To be better idea thinkers? Yeah. Have better ideas. Mm. I think I don't like at this point in time I don't uh, assign if an idea is good or not mm. to me if the idea if if let's say I can see a, a particular idea that I really like it, it keeps coming up yeah I can see it through to action manifest it into the world I, I think it's a good idea yeah, because theorizing and building building on these ideas in your head and writing it down, not showing it, ultimately really does nothing for anyone. Mm. It serves yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Which goes back to perhaps all the the the, the example that you mentioned about uh, philosophers just talking among themselves, exchanging good ideas. But if there is no practicality of it, or let's say if you are hesitant to make it practical because of let's say fear. Mm. Uh, I guess shame if if yeah. your lack of resources ultimately an idea would be theoretical which is fine but it it's not real quote unquote mm. yeah yeah and you know as well we have that uh, we have a, a deep fear of perfection as well you know mm. this this idea is you know oh no this idea isn't perfect so I won't you know, I won't do anything with it. You know, I won't act on yep. it. You know, um, it's a big pitfall. Yeah, where big, I think big that pitfall. you know, when when we get in the habit of creating lots of ideas and even garbage ideas, especially garbage, especially ideas, garbage ideas, we actually end up becoming a lot more detached from that idea of the perfect yeah. idea. It's it's really something that I think I have to to untrain myself. Mm. Yeah, because. I don't know what is it about artists. Artists always get associated with the idea of perfection. Mm. Yeah, you always get this, uh, this perception of an idea, uh, sorry, of, of an artist doing a painting. Every stroke is perfect. Every drop yeah. of color is perfect. I don't know where it came from. Yeah. Yeah. Perhaps is it through the media that we consume growing up? Uh, we heard someone say it. Yeah. So it's a lot of, um, the word I've been using these, these couple of years, it's really deprogramming. Yeah. yeah. I'm learning really. I'm learning all these uh, preconceived notions that I have, and I guess making my own uh, definitions of it. You make good stuff, my friend. When do I get a car? <laughs> <laughs> so going back to your group, um, touching yeah. touching on it. How has the experience been? Starting it, uh, leading it. Um. Well, so. You know, and and full credit. Uh, so I so I didn't start this group. This uh, this group was started by Carvey, uh, mm-hmm. who wasn't able to attend today. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I so I came along first of all as a guest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like hey, great, some like minded people to to talk about this. Um, you know, the, this topic that uh, I feel deeply connected with, but I have very little opportunity to really talk and practice yep. about this. Um. So from there, in, in those early sessions, they were very sort of like, I want to say like lecture based, right? So, um, you know, it was like, here's a, here's, here's a theme and we're going to sort of step through the, the 101 of desire or external mm-hmm. or whatever, right? And, um, and then I it, talked to Carvey about it afterwards and it's like, I really want to start doing some practice sessions where we can really have a group conversation and really, dig into the the nuts and bolts of some of these topics because 
this isn't this shouldn't this this can be more than just a sort of an academic dry overview right so 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 from there that's where we you know started having these sessions um and we've had we have a, a small core group and mm. you know different people sort of come in from from time to time yep. um and we're young and we've got a long way to go right but what we are having is we're starting to really critically think about these things and the implication that it is to being bigger than just ourselves what you do know? you mean I think a lot of people come to, well, certainly our Stoic Meetup group as a self-help thing. Because I think recently it has been seen as that. Absolutely, hundred yep. percent, right? Um, and I'm, um, you know, like I'm, I'm, I'm a bit like a broken record, right? Where it's like coming in with an attitude of like I want to do better for myself, like that's your minimum cost of entry, <laughs> you know? Um, well, I think your minimum cost of entry is. You know, the attitude of like, live and let live. As long as I'm not hurting anyone, I'll do, you know, I should be able to do whatever I want. Right. Okay. That's like your minimum cost, uh, your minimum cost of entry to be like a reasonable human being. Right. Hopefully. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we're also like, that's a pretty shitty life philosophy. Yeah. You know, like kind of like one out of 10 on that, right? <laughs> You're on the scale. That's a good thing, right? But you're pretty low, right? Um, and then, of course, you know, you go through that, you know, you, you have to, this is about a paradigm shift. You know, paradigms are the way that we see the world. Yes. And sometimes you get presented with a philosophy or a, or a writer or someone comes up with an idea that, that changes your paradigm and it's stuff that can't be unseen. Mm. You know, like I used to have this spinning top when I was a little child and um, it was unusual because it was sort of like a round bowl with a little stick out the top of it. And when you spun it, it spun like a normal spinning top, but then it would get so fast that it would flip and turn and spin on its top. Okay. Can you get that? Yeah, that move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's the way that I think about these paradigm shifts is that, you know, you can't see something until you see it, you know? I don't know if that makes any sense at all. It does, it does, it does. But that is like the biggest trick or the biggest biggest lie anybody can can, can believe in. I don't believe in. Um, That's not what I meant to say. Um, It's like a... It's like a big, it's like the biggest disclaimer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, th- I think it comes back to what we were talking about before, where it was like, you know, it's around the illusion, mm. you know. It's like you remember magic eye pictures. Do I don't think we have that. Yeah, I've, I've never seen it. Yeah, I've right. googled it before. So, so, so Google it. So, what, so a magic eye is this scrambled image, and it looks like nothing, right? Just like computer garbage, mm. and if you look at it. And you focus your eyes in a particular way. You kind of look past the book. And then if you look at it and you, and, and you can't see anything, and then it turns into a train. Okay. Right? And it's, it's, it, just, it just flips. And you can't unsee the train 
in the image that you could never see before. Okay. All right. So that's kind of the way that I sort of think about these paradigm shifts, right? Yep. And it's like, you know, I'm, not, I'm certainly not saying, oh, come along on Friday night to experience <laughs> a paradigm shift, right? But what I have seen over, you know, the last while is that there have been those instances where people have gone, you know, this is the way that I've never, you know, like I've never thought about seeing this in a particular way, yep. you know? Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm no expert on any of this. I'm hacking away and slashing, you know, slashing away at the roots like everyone else. Yep. Um, but for me, it's been a, you know, really humbling experience to be able to share something so vulnerable um, as talking about yourself and also, you know, well, actually talking about yourself is not very vulnerable at all today. Talking about how you might like to improve, you know, this human condition. It's something that people don't talk about very much, and I think they should do more of it. And this has become a platform to be able to have those conversations with like-minded people. Do you think it might be difficult to accept these paradigm shifts because it is closely linked to one's identity? And identity is one of those things that it could be argued that is in demand these days. That you find your identity in everything else but I guess yourself you find your identity in groups yeah. your identity in, in just perhaps perhaps a partner you find your identity in I guess uh, addiction vices yeah. yeah um yeah I mean that again part of that human condition we are wired to connect with with people and tribes and you know, we see that playing out all the time, you know, the us versus them thing, yep. right? And, you know, you, again, it comes back to that thing. It's like, well, I would prefer to be part of a tribe, but it's, but my happiness isn't found in that tribe. Again, that, you know, that, that tribe, that group, even our family, even our loved ones. Yep. Our source of happiness is not in our loved ones, mm -hmm. you know. Our source of happiness is in ourselves, mm -hmm. you know. Um, so paradigm shifts, yeah. Like, I mean, it's pretty difficult to be self, like, really self-critical and go, yeah, actually, this thing that I've really believed in my whole life and my whole family yeah. and everyone <laughs> I know and everyone that I love believes the same thing, but I'm just going to be contrarian and think something else. Yeah. Um, you know, that's a, that's a steep hill to climb, you know, but again, it's coming back and going, having the courage to go, is it the right thing? You know, and what I really think is that going back to our meme hunting, right? Where people have this want for this deep connection of wisdom. I think people get a taste of it and just don't do the work. That's what I, 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 this, and when I mean work, it's like, it's, it's literal work. It's, it's journaling every day. It's reflecting every day. It's, you know, it, it's talking to, you know, your, you know, your own role model. You know, like there's, I wear a little red bracelet here, mm -hmm. right? And that's to remind me 
what would Marcus do, right? As in Marcus Aurelius, right? So okay. he, you know how I said everyone's got their favorite Stoic philosopher. <laughs> yeah, Marcus, Marcus Aurelius, <laughs> he's, he's my boy, right? Um, so you know that reminds me to to say, well, what would Marcus do in this situation? You know, interesting. Um, and you've got to have that conversation with yourself, like often, every day, you know, and always go and go, you know what, Chris, you just, you fucked up there. You know, you made a withdrawal from your virtue account, you know? Um, <laughs> so don't feel bad for it. Don't beat yourself up about it. This isn't about, you know, self-flagellating, yeah. right? Um, this is about going, okay, all right, well, I made a mistake. So how can I do something differently the next time? And, um, you know, just, you know, just try to encourage everyone to just spend a bit more time and use our precious, precious time to do stuff that helps us know ourselves more so that we can expand our influence to make the world a better place. It can be argued that being honest with yourself is actually really, really difficult. It could be one of the most difficult things. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> I can... Uh, what does uh, Richard Feynman say? He says, um, the most important thing is never fool yourself and you are the easiest person to fool. <laughs> smart man. Smart man, right? Super smart man. Um, but yeah, so I, I totally agree, you know. And why would you look at yourself when you've got a new season of The Sinner that's just dropped on Netflix? Mm. Why would you do it? You yeah. know, um, why would you think about you know moderating what you eat and drink when anything can be delivered in yeah. you know in a few minutes? Yep. You know, why would you do it? Well, we know why we should do it, but you got to ask yourself that question and make that choice and 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 act on it about critical thinking earlier in the conversation i would like to know what is your definition of it and how can one start practicing it Whew, um okay so i think they're probably related a little bit to what we've been talking about so far so um i think the best primers on critical thinking uh is some of the work in behavioral economics Behavior economics. Behavioral economics. I've never heard behavior and economics together before. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, yeah. so it's sort of a relatively new, um, new science. Yep. Um, and you've got some some contemporary um, behavioral economists, um, economists, sorry, um, that have become quite popular. So probably the most po uh, well known is a guy called Daniel Kahneman. Okay. Um. But also as well, you know, you've got um, uh, Dan Ariely out of Berkeley, I think, um, somewhere, flash US, uh, US one, right? <laughs> and what it kind of like comes down to is, is if you've got this idea of economics as being totally rational, totally logical, totally um, predictable, right? And boring, right? Yeah. You know? supply and demand and everything else where behavioral ec ec economists come in and they say well it actually is not like that because human nature is um treated in a way that makes us make crazy decisions yep. um for no good reason but we're very predictable in that approach yep. right 
Um, and then it will also sort of go through and say, there are some mental models or some frameworks that we can apply with critical thinking. Mm. So I think the best way to sort of start in that idea of um, critical thinking is read, read one of those books, Thinking Fast and Slow is one good one, um, Predictably Irrational by Dan Ariely is another good one. And then um, the best source for improving critical thinking, bar none today, is Farnham Street. What? So Farnham Street is a is a blog, and it's uh, and he runs a podcast as well called the Knowledge uh, the Knowledge Project. Mm. And you know the whole thing is about is um, you know understanding or getting the best bits of what people have already figured out. Highly recommend both of those things. And, you know, what this guy, Shane Parrish, who runs these this podcast and this blog, you know, comes about is these ideas that we, we can have mental models that help us make decisions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like an example of um, a mental model might be summed up in if you hear hoofbeats, think horses, don't think zebras. If you hear hoofbeats, don't think of horses. No, no, think of horses. Think of horses, but not zebras. But not zebras, right? How is that a mental model? Well, what it's saying is it sits back and it goes, <clears throat> well, the simplest answer is probably the right one. So mm-hmm. when we have a problem, we can evaluate, and that's not always the best mental model yep. to attribute to every situation. But it's a good rule of thumb. It's a good proxy to go, hey, well, you know, all things created equal. The simplest answer is probably the good one. Another one, Hanlon's razor is an interesting mm-hmm. one where it's never attribute to malice what you can attribute to incompetence. Right? That might be relevant, very, very relevant. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, right? But again, going back to that thing that we were talking about, mm-hmm. where people don't wake up to be evil. Yep. You know, no one wants to be a bitch or, yep. you know, like be a horrible person, mm-hmm. right? You know, oftentimes if someone isn't replying to your email, it's not because, you know, they're being rude yep. or whatever else. They've probably just forgotten about your email, you know? Yep. Um. And there are bunches of these mental models, but, you know, what you sort of find is if you've got, um, Charlie Munger calls it a latticework of mental models. A what, sorry? A latticework of, that? um, well, this thing, this fence thing that we're- It's a grid? It's a grid, oh, right? You know, yeah, so- It's a grid, okay. So you've got a whole lot of tools that, that you can pull down off your tool, you know, you know, off your tool belt and, and, and go ahead and apply it. So I think that um, those two things combined yep. where you're like, you're going to do crazy shit all the time mm. through the, this behavioral economics model, but there are some tools that you can use that kind of work as heuristics to help you um, overcome some of these you know, biases that we have in human life. But as we've been talking, it's something you have to practice Absolutely. Because sometimes these things have to happen quick and you can't cycle through your tools, your invisible tools, really. Or you take out your notebook and you, you go down the list. 
Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, and and of course, there's different ways that we can apply this, yeah. right? Yeah. We can we can pre-apply it. You know, we can think about how we might answer a question if this thing were to happen. We can sometimes happen in the moment yep. because not all of our decisions are snap, yep. make, a, make a decision. We, we can sit back and think about it and go, hmm, okay, well, what's different ways of looking at it? Um, and then we can also reflect on the decisions that we've already made and in, in particular the ones that we've made poor decisions mm. on, you know. And again, there are mental models around that as well. Past like decisions? Past decisions, right? So, for That's instance, um, the GFC. What's that? The Global Financial Crisis of 2008. I was too young to, to be aware of that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I know something oh. happened. Oh. I know a lot of people lost a lot, a lot of things. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. You, you, so, have to, you have to realize that this is the first pandemic that I'm actually aware of. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. All right. That's cool. Right. You know, like um, we talked about, yeah, like we'll talk about Snappy Chat later on. Right. <laughs> um, you did know what MySpace was. I did. So, yeah. Okay. Because of American media. Because. <laughs> Oh, my God. Um, all right. I'm feeling very old and decrepit. <laughs> Decay is the word of the night. Um, so the GFC, for you know, to bring out the history books, right, was um, a very complicated financial situation where we can step back after the fact and go, well, of course there was a global financial collapse because – of course, we were having all of these leveraged mortgages that giving people all this money that they could never pay mm. off. And, and of course, these derivatives are bad things and, you know, all this sort of stuff, right? So we can create a narrative after the fact, after the, after the event has happened. Yeah. But before the event happened, there was like two people in the world that were predicting it. Two. Right. Well, I might be, um, uh, exaggerating, but probably not by much. People got a conspiracy theorists. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, like, that's the other part of it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's the same sort of thing, yep. you know, like World Trade Center. So once upon a time, just so you know, there was these two big towers in you, <laughs> right? You have it, right? Okay. You know, if you look at that and you get all of the facts together mm. and then think about how can I tie all these facts together, you can make up some crazy stories. But that's just what it is. It's a narrative. It's a story. It's the way that we link these things through. We like to believe that um, we can find a pattern in things. Exactly. I mean, I remember someone saying that our brains are pattern-recognizing machines. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? Um, pareidolia is this mental artifact where we see faces where there are no faces. Because we recognize faces. Because we recognize faces. That's what we're wired to do. So when you see three craters shaped in a particular way on Mars, it's suddenly evidence of uh, Martian civilization, <laughs> right? So is that a yes or no? Do you believe in aliens? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, um, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about it, to be honest with you. Um, you know, the, the more... You know, the older I get, and I, and we've already established I'm, I'm incredibly old, mm. right? Um, the older I get, I really realize that, you know, my time, I've only got so much time. So I'm much better at saying no to things, including thinking about things. You know, it's like, well, 
is it going to impact my life? Mm-hmm. No. So I've got better things to think about. There's you know? a there is certain sense of self disciplinary strength even when it comes to thinking. Yeah. Oh, absolutely right. Um, you only need to look at my YouTube feed for that <laughs> to see that, right? Um, you know, it, it's it's so tempting to be pulled in all different Especially, directions, yeah. right? So you talk about YouTube these days, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, you know, you just you you know you can't stop at one, right? Once you pop, you can't stop. Yeah. Um, you know, and you know, multiply that by you know all of the clickbait, all the articles, all the media, all the information, all the things, right? Um, so you do, there needs to be discipline, you know? Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think that books are the best way to build information discipline. Um, so, you know, I think that that's one of those, one of those mental models that if you can choose to read a book, read, read one, you know? Um, yeah. I have one final question to close out this podcast. Um, what are your thoughts on psychedelics? And do you have any experience with them? Oh, that's a absolutely um, doozy of a question. Um, so um, I'm extremely interested in psychedelics and um, and many different parts of it. I read a, a wonderful book earlier this year called How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. Um, really recommend um, reading that. Um, so I'm, you know, I, I'm absolutely fascinated in the human experience. And um, I think that that's, a, that's an experience that I, I haven't had. Mm. Um, and, you know, it's something that I'm certainly planning to do in a legal and safe way. Um, Wouldn't doubt it. Yeah, <laughs> but you know, like I mean, there there are certainly you know, if if you look in Holland, for instance, you know, there are um, uh, you know, retreats that are set up in a yep. in a legal above board way where you can do it as part of a guided experience. Yep. That's the only way that I'm really interested in exploring that. Mm. Uh, it's absolutely something that I'm I'm, I'm very interested in. Um, Why do you think you're curious about it? You know, we were talking about before about, you know, we, we live this life as as human beings, as the warts and all and the good bits and the bad bits and, and everything else. But really it comes down to experience. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that, that's, that's certainly a part of the human experience that I felt that I, that I feel that I haven't tapped into at this point. Um, so it, so it's certainly part of that. Um, and also as well, I, you know, I have a feeling again that there's a paradigm shift to be found in psychedelics. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm deeply more than psychedelics. I'm fascinated by paradigm shifts, seeing things in different ways in that inconceivable ways, inconceivable ways. Exactly. So I've read lots of experiences of psychedelics and they're terrible, right? Mind-numbing. Oh, my, the worst, right? It's like listening to someone talk about their dream, right? And, you know, along with that, there is um, 
there is a certain part of our human experience that is ineffable. And by ineffable, I mean it can't be described by words. It's so powerful, but it transcends our communication. And we see that in um, enlightenment through meditation. Mm -hmm. We also get touches of it through, you know, um, noetic experiences, like from psychedelics Mm -hmm. as well. And I find that deeply fascinating, that idea that there's an experience that sits outside, you know, around and outside of us that can't be described in words. Yep. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I'm also don't try to think about it too much at the moment because I know that it's something that's out of reach as we go through the, you know, the whole COVID piece and everything else. And also, I don't want to mythologize it as well. That is a very interesting thing about not mythologizing it because when you read about experiences such as that and if, let's say, if you're wired to it being curious and you are, I guess, always in chase of that uh, certain experience, yeah, you can sometimes mythologize it. You can sometimes put it on top of a pedestal. And I think the, the very interesting thing about linguistics about words is that it itself is it might not be the true definition of the particular thing you're describing it's just something that culturally perhaps we just agree that let's say a table is yes four legs and they they on top Mm. but if you're talking about something let's say like love it's a theory of mine that everyone has a different definition and if everybody has a different definition of something technically there is no common definition Mm. Yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, we were sort of talking about that a little bit earlier as well. When you get something like, uh, like happiness, right? Um, well, that in the English language, that has, th- there, there are positive ways that you can look about that and negative ways. So I can be happy. I can be plenty happy with a bag of drugs and, and a hooker, right? Yeah. I'm not going to stay happy for very long, right? Um, Or I can be happy for living a long, good life full of virtue and leaving a legacy and accomplishing my mission, right? Yet we use the same word to describe those two different experiences, right? Um, And that's where, you know, like going back to Stoicism for a minute is that, you know, the Greeks used a lot more nuance in a lot of their words, Mm. So you would get terms like eudaimonia and hedonia that both mean happy or can be translated that, but have very different experiences. So yeah, with your experience, you know, with your definition of of love, that might be something that's very yep. very different to mine. But we use it as a as a social shortcut. Yep, that's to, uh, to navigate life. Yeah. All right. Um, it has been a fascinating conversation. Where can people join this secret society? Where can people find you? Yeah, please. All right. Um, well, uh, com Singapore Stoics. Uh, we meet every second Friday. Um, yeah, every, every second Friday. Yep. Sometimes throw it out. Sometimes have um, uh, special events as well. But yep. that's where to find us. We have a WhatsApp channel, but that's super secret. You need to know the, the handshake <laughs> first, all right? Um, but please come along. And also... Um, 
please don't think that you need to know anything about stoicism as well. Um, this isn't an academic discussion. We start right from the start and we make it intensely practical right from the very, you know, right from the start. We also always try to start with a story of some description as well. Like so, a, a, like a personal story or something from elsewhere? Lots of different stories, um, but, you know, quite often it might be uh, like a, a fable uh-huh. or a, you know, a, a small anecdote that sort of talks about the theme of the evening. Right. So if nothing else, you can come along and just get 10 minutes of entertainment. <laughs> and Chris will, will give you a kombucha. And I will, and I have many scobies, right? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Scobies for all, right? Um, but look, thanks so much for having this conversation. Thank you for your time. It's been, uh, it's been absolutely great. Thank you. Excellent. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode and feel inspired. If you enjoyed what you heard thus far, do give us a follow on Instagram. And don't forget to share and subscribe. Stay tuned for the next episode.